Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks from a very snowy Vancouver Island. This is Jay. And I'm the devil <laughs> named Shanna this time. You don't look like the devil to me. <laughs> <laughs> What's love? Hell of a thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it sort of it, it, in the same space. Uh, I realized while editing last week's episode that I, you know, I presented my thesis and I gave my arguments regarding my interpretation of Marion Bad, but I never actually gave my conclusion. Uh, <laughs> oh. Never actually uh, provided by. Uh, more comprehensive like this is my interpretation of the film which is you know, something i had presented and argued but then never put together so uh i guess i'll do that now sort of a <laughs> uh classical uh sins and er er errors and sins of omission uh because <laughs> i never finished my argument uh, so i i was talking about the movie broadly as being about art interpretation you know, right, like, right. Like it is a movie that it's providing a, a model for art interpretation. It's playing a game with the audience for art interpretation. Like at the beginning, you play out all the cards, and uh, the the artist as the dealer, you know, uh, as as M, uh, always wins because right. you return to the table to play again. Uh, and and in this work, it's pre-designed. You know, this is already an infinite loop. So he knows he wins. He knows he wins every time. Like, yeah, I, right. I can because lose. We but... Can't... <laughs> yeah. but we can't edit the movie to make him lose so that so yeah. we know he won't. It's frozen in a marble past. Oh. You know, it's, it's an existing work of art, just like the statues they're describing. Okay. So I had actually thought of it, too, and actually came up with something uh it's not well put together but you know i've got a bit more here okay, this sorry, is this is still that. just yeah <laughs> uh so uh ultimately the art interpreter only loses by admitting defeat and that's something our main guy x never does you know, mm -hmm. he sits back and he's like huh all right you've outfoxed me again maybe i don't fully understand yet but i'm still playing and he keeps coming and sitting back down the point being that art isn't a thing to be conquered or defeated. Uh, the repeated thing, it wasn't by force. Oh. So if you return and play the game enough times, maybe eventually you walk away or eternally back in with meaning. With, okay. of course, our, our main character, A, representing meaning. You know, he 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 finds the meaning in the piece and he is able to leave, but also go back into the piece with that meaning. Hmm. All right. My meaning is very elusive in this film. Right. OK. But uh, so uh, as an art piece, as you're saying, uh, it's solidified eternally in form. It exists. It's already been made. So uh, we're, we're in the loops. Uh, but I, I would say that just. Overall, uh, my my sort of conclusion to this is that uh, watching art films like this, and it's why I love them, is that they've taught me, and it's much uh, much applicable to exploitation. That's why What's Love is a very good reference point for this, because it, it's made me come to films to just enjoy the mystery and like 
I, I don't need to understand. I, I could maybe try to understand when it's all done. <laughs> and uh, the room is a good example of this. The room <laughs> is abstract art. You know, <laughs> the the not knowing is the joyous element of the room. It's like, what are <laughs> what is the mystery here? It's such a bizarre thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what I had come up with was that maybe Eck, the main guy, was him and the girl maybe represented diff being in different stages of the the stages of grief where the girl was in denial and he might be in the bargaining stage. He might be like. I can still get out of this. I'll play you again. I can get out of this situation. I just have to leave you with the last card. And at the end of it, he does. Yeah. He leaves M with the last him. Yeah. Yeah. Something. It's, it's something. There's, there's something. Yeah. <laughs> again, like the, uh, any interpretation works because you just kind of look into it and then you come back through it and you apply it and you see where it fits and where it doesn't and then you can like th that's sort of the the game of appreciating art uh specifically for film where it's more of an experiential thing uh where obviously if you're looking at a physical art piece it's much more condensed <laughs> as, as an experience whereas a, a film has so many images mm-hmm so we've got oh please go ahead yeah no i i just think it's funny that i was like I'm, all right i don't want to think about this movie ever again and then suddenly all these ideas come up and i'm like oh why why now i i recorded the episode it's over <laughs> but yeah i mean it, it is one that it, it sticks in the mind and i i do like the kind of movie like this where it, it it develops like the more you think about it the more there is to it the more you play the game the more you get out of the game uh, mm -hmm. But first, this week uh, of our several films and a TV show, uh, we're doing 1974's Dark Star, uh, the debut film of John Carpenter, started as a USC student film, written by Dan O'Bannon, pretty important collaborator here. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> and Dan O'Bannon, like, his history after this is pretty key. Uh, like it, this doesn't this isn't as representative of John Carpenter as a whole, even though there's, you know, important things. You know, we've got oh, yeah. a Carpenter score, the very first one, mm -hmm. that that great synth stuff. Uh, and thematically, it resonates. It's just he doesn't go comedy very often after this. Yeah, I guess not. There's They Live and that's. And that's, They Live isn't almost, even that like might be strictly it. a kind of. Well, there's Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which is. Is I there? mean, it broke him. No. Uh, uh, th that's his Chevy Chase movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's pretty bad. I saw that one in the theater as a kid. Oof. Bad. So, yeah, Dan O'Bannon, of course, wrote this. And in the preamble on the Blu-ray uh, says that he did rewrite it as Alien. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody laughed. Like, he went to the theater and was like, they're not laughing at any yeah it's like i don't, I don't get people there it's <laughs> like I don't, I don't get how they don't see the, the humor so he rewrote it without the humor and made it alien uh <laughs> which i mean he doesn't say it there but uh alien is this plus halloween yeah yeah i mean the the beach ball and the xenomorph are basically the same thing 
yeah, you just give it sort of the agency of Michael Meyer, as in you have the slasher in space. Uh, he's just putting those two together and like, all right. And he, you know, it, it was a mega hit. Also, it worked. He, <laughs> also after this, he got hired by Lucas and they, and he designed some of the ships for Star Wars, which you can totally see here. It was my very first thought. I was like, this is yeah. a Star Wars ship <laughs> uh, about 10 years before Star Wars ships, or I guess it would be three years Right. And not only a Star Wars ship, but it is the Red Dwarf. And explicitly, it's the Red Dwarf. This was the direct inspiration for the show. And I mean, Pinback is Rimmer. He is so Rimmer. <laughs> and Pinback playing Dan O'Bannon as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or Dan O'Bannon playing Pinback, rather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pinback sucks. <laughs> he's such. A, he's such a fool. Like he's he's an adorable fool, but like he is just such a dim bulb. But I mean, it's it's part of his history. <laughs> so also the the Dan O'Bannon intro, like written. Uh, there, there's like some text preamble. He mentions that one character is played by four different people and that one of the actors was on acid during the film. I'm kind of thinking all of that would be Talby, although I could see maybe Doolittle being someone on acid at some point. I, it's definitely not Doolittle who's played by four different people or no. Pinback. Uh, it's no. not either of them. I, it's got to be Talby or maybe Powell. Mm. It's probably Talby because we don't see him very much. And yeah. when we do, we don't see him closely. Right. And he's involved in a lot of effects shots because he gets blown out of the ship and he's pretty separate from the rest. And mm -hmm. he's also in the bubble at the top, which I love. What a great visual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that there was a person in there. I thought it was like an R2-D2 at first. Mm-hmm. So it opens with this message from Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this had me howling laughing, and I was like, how did people not see this as funny? It's so good. <laughs> the, it's like, oh, we, we received your previous message to Earth. It was a big ratings hit. Oh man, <laughs> so there, there's a 10-year delay, so you guys gotta be really far out. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, we got, we're sorry to hear about the radiation leak. Yeah, and the, the death of Commander Powell. We had a week of mourning on Earth for him. <laughs> like, we're all behind you guys. And there's like a slight pause about your request for radiation shielding. Sorry to report this request has been denied. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you'll carry on in good spirits. I know that you guys will make do keep up the good work it's it, it really sets everything up for the element of the blue collar space exploration like <laughs> these are long haul truckers of space uh and it, it, it is the same dynamic that you have in alien it's just they don't have the they don't in include the joke about it <laughs> and that that message could have just been pasted right onto wet red dwarf and it would have been fine oh, completely <laughs> you could just have uh the like that could be the last message from the captain before the radiation leak killed the entire ship. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is one to one. They they were directly inspired by this. <laughs> I, so the Dark Star uh, as a ship, kind of cool design, very long, pointy. I mean, it is kind of the uh, Imperial cruiser shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but the observation bubble is so cool <laughs> i love it he's got like this cool chair and honestly that's if i were on this ship i'd spend all my time up there too i i don't blame talby for wanting yeah. to do that instead right and you see that and it's like okay i mean if someone were to be on acid that's where you'd want to be <laughs> <laughs> in the space bubble uh, i have the soundtrack cd and uh the seed in the bubble is the cover art too ah nice so Doolittle uh calls up talby for the planet diameter reading and man the main cockpit area what a cramped little space ah. considering this is supposed to be sort of a red dwarf size ship i mean there's a an elevator shaft that's dangerous to fall down i feel like this ship doesn't need an elevator shaft <laughs> three rooms and i honestly feel like that's about all there is but there don't <laughs> seem to be stairs so like i guess there's a lot of cargo spaces they do mention oh, that yeah. like one of the cargo spaces exploded uh and de depressurized at some point now they did mention having a lot more rooms before that's true yeah <laughs> so they're prepping bomb 19 sergeant pinback to bomb 19 uh the this is something that feels especially prescient right now with our artificial intelligent nukes they're very cheerful oh. they're glad to do their job yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah it's like oh i can't wait to go and blow up this planet yeah, it's very officious. It's very happy. Uh, both of the bombs are also voiced by Dan O'Bannon. Oh, cool. <laughs> also, just music relationships. Uh, there's a band, there's an indie rock band called Pinback that I really like. Uh, there's just a really crazy techno group called Bomb 20 that I've heard as well. They're kind of like, <laughs> uh, it's sort of a more noisy breakcore kind of thing. Cool. So cool. just the the inspiration radiating out from this thing <laughs> I, I love that like later on the computer has to negotiate with the bomb <laughs> <laughs> well, they all have to yeah <laughs> oh yeah th then the human has to go do it yeah because it, it just it doesn't agree so they launch bomb 19 and they have to go to hyperdrive to get away from the blast radius and they blow up a fucking planet because that's what they do this is a planet exploding uh, expedition the planets are in the way they're unstable they might cause problems later on yeah the idea is they're clearing up any unstable planets in each of these solar systems so that they can then be colonized you know people can move out there very hitchhiker's guide yeah <laughs> only there it's a freeway but same right. exact thing yeah and i mean here they're not there, there's never intelligent life on any of them. I mean, they, they've only found intelligent life once, but it, it wasn't that intelligent. Or they don't think. What well, was it, it like a potato or a mushroom? <laughs> well, it's it's the it is the oh, alien oh, no, that the, we the see the later. Baseball. Right, yeah. right, yeah, it, right. That's it. That's the thing. <laughs> I forgot. So they they get a, co a congratulation from the computer. The the very it's it's much like mother in Alien. Very soft uh pleasant female voice congratulating them for completing the destruction of all the unstable planets in this system hooray so it's like all right where are we gonna go next and pinback's like oh the horsehead nebula shows a 95 percent probability of intelligent life and Doolittle's <laughs> like don't give me that fucking 
that kind of bull. He he is so uninterested in seeking out intelligent life. Just give me something to blow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 95% my ass. Because <laughs> here's where he's like, ah, man, we found intelligent life that one time, you know, when you sent us on this wild goose chase. And it's like a balloon that's just a farting vegetable. Oh, shit. They are referring to the beach ball. Yeah, completely. <laughs> By the time the beach ball appeared, I had forgotten about this part of the conversation. <laughs> well, it's because all of the beach ball stuff, like all of the alien stuff, was shot later. <laughs> uh, uh, all of that was added for the reshoots that expanded the student film out to feature length. So what was the original then? Just, I guess, this stuff? Yeah, this stuff and the 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 philosophical discussion with the bomb. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. All of the stuff in the corridors and all of the uh, alien stuff was added later. Oh. You can really tell if you look at the hair because they're all wearing wigs <laughs> in those sequences. <laughs> and they aren't great wigs. They're not great. I mean, it, they, it was a very low budget. <laughs> mm -hmm. Honestly, I'm surprised it looks as good as it did for the budget it had. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great... It, it shows how... I mean, it, this is Carpenter's thing. He would always do this. He could do so much with so little. Yeah, that's true. Well, definitely of all the ones that we've seen so far. Yeah. So it's like, find me something I can blow up. And it's like, okay, there's a new red dwarf nearby with eight planets. Eh, those are all stable. And I think Pinback's like, oh, you you discovered a new new star. What are you going to name it? <laughs> Who cares? Don't bother cares? me. <laughs> no interest in space exploration. It's just like, man, <laughs> shut up. What's your problem? No, he wants to be home surfing. Oh, he really wants to be home surfing. He's thinking of almost nothing else. <laughs> so Boiler, the third guy, he finds another unstable planet to blow up. And they hit the radio. We got Benson, Arizona, credits playing. Uh, Fun tune. Very, yeah, I like it. it. It does feel kind of weird because it's this country song <laughs> uh, about a very tiny little town. <laughs> so Doolittle does a ship's log. Number 1,943. So they've been out here a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so ships' systems continue to deteriorate, <laughs> and and Pinbacks uh, comes and uh, steps in. Like uh, the rear seat panel short circuit that killed Powell is still faulty, and Pinback uh, comes in again. Like yeah, it's still bothering Pinback because he's <laughs> in the the seat next to it. <laughs> Although their their seats, we didn't really talk about how cramped they're so cramped together. Is so cramped like the guy in the middle cannot get out or adjust in any way it is just like four people in a row each facing in it like there's three left now but they're yeah. you know they're facing in different directions uh in in a row and like just panels it's like a triangular room not unlike the cockpit in the older shuttles yeah oh that's what it reminded me of i yeah. was like yeah this is what this is what space cockpits would really look like, not the Star Wars stuff, I don't think. 
Well, I, I mean, even I, I would think of even just like the Star Trek stuff with the the big open spaces like a cruise oh, ship. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, initially, like a naval ship in the original series, and then cruise ship in uh, TNG, mm. <laughs> and most subsequent ones, I think. Uh, so storage area nine self destructed last week. Uh, the entire <laughs> supply of toilet paper was destroyed. So they don't comment <laughs> on it, but I think that is perhaps adding to the tensions in this film. <laughs> the look that he gives when he says it kind of says it all. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ah, this fucking bullshit. So they're en route to Vale Nebula, but there's an emergency override. There's this asteroid storm uh, surrounded by an electromagnetic vortex, which uh, causes some problems. <laughs> I, I love the graphic for the asteroid storm. <laughs> it, it's a very star trekky thing like a, a good old tos uh just shiny thing and uh that, that's a miniature against black screen uh so this one they say it's very similar to the one that destroyed the ship's defensive circuits two years ago <laughs> so i don't have any defensive circuits to deal with this uh i'm gonna have to go to manual <laughs> oh yeah that's right the, the computer's like yeah, I should I should let you know this because we have thirty seconds till impact. <laughs> yeah, always very calm. So they they set up a, they they put up a red force field which surrounds the ship, uh, and also surrounds each of them internally. Like they all get it's sort of like they freeze. I don't know. That's cool. You don't really see that, but that's 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 an interesting idea that I think should be expanded and used more in science fiction. Yeah, I feel like it's sort of a sort of a damper or something like that. I, I don't get exactly how it's supposed to work, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, we it could be expanded on. We could come up with a use for it. But yeah, so th they go through and they get hit by lightning. Yeah, because it's a sort of an electrical storm among the asteroids and it knocks off one of the laser communication panels, which is a very big problem. And it activates the Bombay systems. So <laughs> Bomb 20 is lowered. And Bomb 20 is a fairly important character in this movie. <laughs> he really wants to go off. And he's just looking for any excuse to do it. And he is just so eager to do his job. He's very officious. You know, I was like, I, uh, I have this job to do. And it is extremely important. And he argues with the computer about going back up. He's like, we're currently in an emergency situation. The 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 message you've received was false. You need to please go back up into the Bombay. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I got a signal. He's like, the signal was in error. And like, all right, uh, I'll, I'll go back up. And it, it goes back up this time but next time it's going to take more convincing and then the third time it is a big problem <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but the guys on the ship don't really see any danger at this point you know they get through the thing they're like huh remember that last asteroid storm that blew up all the sleeping quarters <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like uh. and pinback's like yeah i mean we could just fix it up all we need to do is repressurize go in and clean it i mean it would be better than the current <laughs> closet that we're living in <sighs> i feel like these guys could not successfully uh patch a hole in the sleeping quarters 
It seems very pinback, unlikely. Sure. Pinback would be able to. I pin, Pinback has no capabilities. Yeah, what is he even? Oh, right, he's not. Yeah. Even, he's not supposed right, to he's be. Not here. supposed to be here. <laughs> well, and, and nobody listens to him, so the guys don't even know it. <laughs> I think they know it. He has told them, and they recognize that he's told them the story. It's just they don't care, right? <laughs> but yeah, they're they're grody porn closet is is pretty nasty <laughs> it used to be where all the food was but the food's all gone so they moved their sleeping bags in there <laughs> they've spray painted names over where they sleep and one <laughs> entire wall is porn which they had to blur out uh yeah. for the theatrical release yeah that's that was funny seeing that i was like hey ah. Pinback, for some reason, has a suitcase full of prank stuff, like a fake chicken. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> He's got, like, the, the glasses with the goggles on springs. <laughs> yeah. And he just, like, keeps pestering Doolittle with it. And I was like, man, I don't even know what to respond to you with this shit. Like, are you a child? I don't know what to say. He like I think he loses it and storms out when the when Pinkback brings out the rubber chicken. Yeah, he storms out and he goes to his fucking cool glass his bottle harpsichord or whatever the hell it is. It's so cool. Oh yeah, that thing. <laughs> oh, he he's he's been working on this for I guess years, just filling them up just the right amount of water to make them sound perfect. Yeah, it's and, sort of his little experimental uh, bottle-based piano, which is tons of strings and stuff and all of these different glass bottles and of different sizes. It's hilarious, too, because it takes up so much space in this ship where they don't seem to have a lot. I mean, he's got a never... room for it. I, I, don't yeah. think, I, I don't think there's any shortage of space. It's just that they don't have any impetus to do anything with it. Like, it seems like there's oh. just places blowing up all the time and they're just missing these sections of the ship. And it's like, well, whatever. I mean, who cares? Oh, yeah. I think there's no shortage of space. Look at them, like, wandering around corridors. There's an entire fucking elevator shaft. Well, oh, yeah, that's true. I just, man, everything, I guess it's just the cockpit makes me feel like the rest of the ship is going to be like that. Yeah, I, Even though I, think, I see that it isn't. Yeah, I think it's just not uh, designed in any sort of human-friendly way because they don't care. That That's sort of right. part of the undercurrent of this is that it is this future, much like the one in Alien, where these people are just assets and there's really no more interest in them beyond that. Mm -hmm. So uh, Doolittle brings breakfast to Talby. And Talby talks about it, he's like, I don't like leaving the bubble since Commander Powell died. I just like to stare out at space. Uh, and it comes out that they've been in space for 20 years at this point, but they haven't aged 20 years. I don't quite know how that works. Yeah. They've um, only aged three years, uh, but they don't say exactly how that happened because <laughs> they seem to be working most of the time. Yeah, I wonder if they're just... I don't really get it. Maybe they're actually going faster than light speed. It might have something to do with how often they're traveling at hyperspeed. Because, you know, when they're in between spaces, they're going really fast, I think. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, never directly addressed. But I guess you have to have that in there because these are all like 20-year-old dudes. <laughs> They're dudes and in they, their 20s. Yeah, they've already established a 10-year delay, which means it is at least 20 years. Yeah. So they're headed to the Vale Nebula, where Telby's like expecting to see the Phoenix asteroid. He's kind of pretty pumped about it. It it only circles the universe every 12.3 trillion years. The universe isn't that old, but that's okay. <laughs> and it, it's got these beautiful glowing rainbow colors, and he's just super excited for it. And Doolittle's <laughs> like, yeah, man, I can't talk to the others. They're all fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a recurring theme. We don't get any insight into Boiler, but I feel like each of these guys has this thing like, I don't feel like I can talk to any of these other guys. They're all a bunch of fucking tools. Because <laughs> we definitely hear pinbacks. Like, they are uncouth. <laughs> I do not like these men. <laughs> I do not like these men. But uh, this is where Doolittle's like, I just wish I was back home in Malibu with my surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> this and he, could be where he's high. This could be. He definitely has a sort of droned out sort of feel to him. And he kind of sticks in this groove for the rest of the movie. He's thinking about his surfboard and he's never present for anything else that happens because he's just thinking of surfing. <laughs> the whole rest of the movie, you can like look at what's going on in the scene and he's like, he's not taking this in. He's thinking of surfing. <laughs> Even yep. when he's ejected into space, he's thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I think the only time he's thinking about anything else is when he's talking to the bomb at the end. Yeah. So we get our first of these weird corridor things where there's just dudes hanging out in a corridor and all of this stuff is added later. So it's pinned back on a sun lounger under a, under a sun lamp, <laughs> getting a space tan. And Boiler has, he, he's like shooting at the heating unit lid. <laughs> it's yeah, like a plasma rifle. With the, yeah, like this emergency plasma rifle they're not supposed to just take out and use yeah pinback is heavily objecting it is funny that pinback is the one who has absolutely no capabilities and is the one who failed out of uh, getting into this program in the first place uh but he is the one who is concerned about safety protocol <laughs> <laughs> but he's also the one who brought the alien on board well yeah uh, so the computer interrupts. It's time to feed the alien. <laughs> I just love Pinback's, like, his delivery of how he says it. Just, I don't want to do that. He's like, I don't want to do that. And the computer has to, like, be a mother to him. He's like, now, now, it was your idea to keep the alien. <laughs> it's like, you're the one who wanted a pet. And you said Every it would be a mascot. a mascot. Yeah. <laughs> like oh fine so the alien it's a beach ball but it's got like lizardy feet <laughs> it is, it is that a is giant it beach ball <laughs> it makes these ridiculous noises <laughs> it, it chirps and whistles at first uh and i i think it it has sort of a more kind of sound when it's uh <laughs> 
uh, attacking. <laughs> Man, the beach ball attacking people just gets well, funnier. Attacking the more pinback. I see it. It's yeah, only yeah. pinback whoever has to interact <laughs> with it because it's rejecting the food. There's also seems to be because he he the lights on the wall are kind of they uh, seem sentient yeah because he shoes them away at one point yeah <laughs> but we don't really have any other reference to that so i don't know what that's about but it <laughs> doesn't want the food is afraid of lights <laughs> maybe. maybe but but the they move like when he shoes them they are shooed so i don't know oh yeah Anyway, the thing doesn't want the food, and so he's bitching and complaining while he's cleaning up. And I don't know how it makes this kind of mess. I, <laughs> I do like the way it reacts to him, like thrusting the food at it. Like, mm. <laughs> like a, a fussy cat. Oh, yeah, the way it like taps the floor with its claws before deciding what it's going to do. Yeah. So then it jumps on his back. And <laughs> attacking him. Yeah, and then it it gets out of the room, so he has to go chase it down. And so he he's like chasing after it with the broom. It of course gets into the ducts, as these things do, just like yeah. an alien. So we're oh. gonna have to get into the ducts. <laughs> but it's interesting. It seems to be going to the error. Like it seems to be aware of the danger, because it gets it to the the busted panel in yeah. the emergency airlock. Yeah, and it messes with it, doesn't it? It does something to it, so it it is potentially causing the later problems. I don't know. Maybe it's trying to fix it, and uh, Pinback screwed everything up by uh, chasing it off. Maybe. We we just can't know its intentions. <laughs> Maybe it was trying to escape, and it's much smarter than they think it is. It could very well be. I mean, it's definitely smarter than Pinback. Well, yeah, that doesn't take a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like like him catching, trying to catch the beach ball is like a Looney Tunes bit. Oh, completely. And he does have a, a sort of Looney Tunes character delivery, like the as you said, the I don't want to do that. Like, oh, fine. He's he's an Elmer Fudd type. I keep expecting him to go wise guy, eh? Yeah. Why I oughta. So th there's the elevator shaft where he has to walk around the tiny ledge <laughs> on the inside. And then... Well, he, he did lower a plank to get across, but the, the, the alien took the plank. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the... The elevator starts up, and they're, they're, like everything lights up, and it's like, oh, wow, that's actually a really long drop. <laughs> I'm thinking about this. Who is using this elevator? <laughs> I, I don't think we ever see anyone use it, because no one's using it at, at the time, because we know he climbs up into the elevator to get out, yeah. ultimately, and there's no one there. But he gets attacked by the alien and he falls. I, I love it. There's the ball bouncing against him and going. <laughs> it just gets funnier every time. <laughs> it just bounce, 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 bounce. So he falls, he grabs the ledge and he's just like stuck to the bottom of the elevator. It stops like right on his face, just very haltingly. Like. His head just slowly being pushed back down. 
It's so funny. <laughs> the comedic timing of the elevator seat is excellent. It, it is so Looney Tunes. <laughs> and he, yeah, that, that's when he's stuck to the bottom of the elevator. And this is when the alien gets into the laser panel and creates some kind of malfunction, which makes Bomb 20 descend the second time. <laughs> and it's like, uh, Bomb 20, once again, there is an error in the communication circuits. And it's like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Please go back. I'm like, all oh, right, all right, this but this is the last, last time. time and, and he's... Like, that's scary. <laughs> he means it. <laughs> well, it, it will go up one more time. <laughs> yeah, but only just to think about the new info. Yeah. So Doolittle isn't interested in searching for the malfunction. It's like, ah, we'll find out about it. We'll find out what it is when it goes bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but here Talby's like, I don't know. This seems concerning. Maybe I'll look into it. And I, I, I love under the like pin back it under the elevator. He unscrews the plate to get inside, but he gets stuck like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh bother. And he can't quite reach all of the panels. He he gets the emergency phone, but the emergency phone is out of order. Of course it is. <laughs> and so he has to activate the explosive bolts in <laughs> the the floor plate. You which you know we're doing a two thousand one parody. Obviously, mm -hmm. I, we haven't really mentioned it, but this is a parody of two thousand one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the whole explosive bolts and everything. We're we're doing that reentry scene, but. It's much sillier. Uh, explosive bolts will disengage the floor plate in five seconds. Please leave the elevator immediately. I, I also like he's uh, it's it's he's initiated the cleaning sequence because it's like, congratulations, you've decided to clean the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a cartoonish ending. He exits in a cloud of smoke and the plate <laughs> is still stuck around his midsection. <laughs> this whole little misadventure in the middle of the movie, which is very different from the rest that is much added later. But so he goes and he gets the anesthetic gun and he darts the alien. Of course, it just pops. Pops. <laughs> it deflates. Thing. He kills it. Uh, and he goes to tell the guys nobody is interested. <laughs> None of them cared about or wanted the alien to begin with. <laughs> yeah. No, not interested. Shut up, Pinback. Uh, and this is where they have their ham packets. Oh, Ugh. yeah. I think they're just drinking soy sauce. <laughs> it really looks like like soy sauce packets or like those yeah. freezies that you get out of the freezer. Right. They're just little... Uh, jelly or uh, little liquid uh, packages and that's what all of their food is uh, but they they only want the ham they keep passing up all the chicken ones it's like <laughs> chicken chicken oh ham so talby comes down to look for the malfunction and he's gonna just be doing that in the background nobody realizes it ever <laughs> yeah that's right they never find out about any of the stuff he's doing because <laughs> uh Talby did tell Doolittle, but Doolittle was busy thinking about surfing, so he didn't really pay attention. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Pitback again, he's telling them about his past, how uh, he fucking totally failed 
the the astronaut <laughs> test like unbelievably bad he scored 58 the required score was 700 <laughs> and the guys are all just like not even listening and talking over him and having their own conversation <laughs> yeah because he starts telling his origin story and boiler's <laughs> like he told us this what four years ago didn't he no, oh, like, I think it was four years ago. Yeah, Dula's no, I think it was four years ago. I was like, that's what he said. Nobody's listened to anyone else. <laughs> There's just complete lack of any communication. <laughs> so on launch day of the Dark Star, uh, Pinback was working maintenance. He that he he was assigned as a janitor. And the actual astronaut, Pinback, the, the real Pinback, uh right. <laughs> ran up naked and jumped into a liquid fuel vat and died <laughs> <laughs> and pinback put on the guy's star suit with the pinback name uh so that he could jump in to save him but then a bunch of dudes showed up and they're like it's time to get on the ship pinback <laughs> and i keep telling you i'm not sergeant pinback <laughs> yeah and he just ended up on the ship <laughs> which it's great yeah that totally makes sense it it's a good explanation for why pinback is there because he does not seem like he should be yeah so telby does locate the malfunction in the communication laser and he's gonna go fix it and he radios it in but nobody cares <laughs> oh is this the part where like this maybe my favorite line is when Bo boiler is like What's Talby's first name? Yeah. <laughs> and Doolittle's like, what's, what's my first name? name? Yeah. What's my first name? They're they're just so <laughs> spaced. Again, it, this is why I think maybe Doolittle could be the one who's on acid. It's like, what's my first name? <laughs> I like to imagine that was uh that wasn't in the script and that was acid inspired. <laughs> yeah. So Pinback goes to computer to insert his My Diary cartridge. <laughs> his fucking diary. <laughs> and when we thing. Oh, it's so great. We we review all the old tapes. We get his real name, which is Bill Frug. Uh, this <laughs> is a real guy. Bill Frug is uh he's a fairly significant uh he, he was one of their teachers at USC. And he's oh, okay. a he's like a major TV producer, like he was one of the main producers on Twilight Zone, uh, Gilligan's Island, Bewitched, Ooh. Charlie's Angels. Uh, but yeah, he was uh, their their teacher at the University of uh, Southern California. Cool. So they they he's pinned back. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the way we see his mind deteriorate over each of the entries and him just <laughs> going a little bit more crazy. And again, we get the story of him uh, not actually being pinned back and someone please <laughs> do something about this. And uh, gradually it, we get to his new entry. I do not like these men, this spaceship <laughs> or no, I do not like the men on this spaceship. They are uncouth and fail to recognize my better qualities. <laughs> that is the most Arnold Rimmer sentence in the world. 
Last week was my birthday. Nobody <laughs> said happy birthday to me. <laughs> Wait till they hear this tape. Then they'll be sorry. Yeah. Someday they'll play this tape and then they'll feel bad. He's so childish. So everybody's asleep except Talby, who's working on it. But the computer announces, I found the problem and you need to fix it immediately. <laughs> Very serious problem. But everyone's asleep. Nobody hears it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Talby's working on it, but he's yeah. he's having trouble. Mm -hmm. So they get to the Veil Nebula and they start their bomb run, which is exactly what the computer said not to do when it was explaining <laughs> that there's a problem with communications laser. Do not start a bomb run. <laughs> so bomb 20 is lowered once more and it's like okay we're 24 minutes to destruction which we're exactly 23 minutes of runtime left oh i didn't notice that <laughs> <laughs> cool but they kind of have like a couple jumps forward and you know because there's also end credits uh right, yeah. so talby tries to notify doolittle again but he just does not hear what he's saying <laughs> it's just going it's washing over him he's thinking about surfing again surfboard <laughs> man i wish i had my surfboard even just to wax it <laughs> so talby starts to adjust the laser and it blinds him uh he crosses the beams there's a huge explosion the main computer banks get fried <laughs> and, and it's like please do not get touch the laser yeah, do not cross the beam. It will be a serious issue if you cross the beam. And then he <laughs> does because he's stumbling around blind. Yep. <laughs> and the bomb dropping circuits get fried, which is a big problem. <laughs> so Doolittle's like, okay, Bomb 20, we're going to need you to disarm. It's like, no, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> I've had time. enough. I, I told you I'm going <laughs> to do this. And the computer's like, I've set auto dampers, which will confine the explosion to a one mile diameter. <laughs> it's like that that will contain the ship. Uh, it's up to you now. Because, I mean, these are a bunch of nukes. They, they would just blow up an entire solar system. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've had at least 20 of these bombs. Yeah. So Doolittle goes to ask Powell. Or the Commander Powell. Uh, I, I love this, that he's actually sort of alive. He's quasi-alive in the cryogenic freeze. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. They were able to, like, freeze him and, and kind of talk to him. They used that in um, one of the later aliens for, I think, the CEO of Weyland yutani Yeah, that's right. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, so the the, the series just... was born here. <laughs> Yeah, this, this alien doesn't exist if dark star doesn't exist i mean arguably you could say that dark star is in the same cinematic universe like this seems like yeah. just another kind of expedition that would be going on in the same world as the Wayland yutani corporation it fits it fits <laughs> perfectly yeah <laughs> so yeah he's kept at absolute zero and he's pretty useless <laughs> <laughs> His idea is to teach the bomb phenomenology. Uh, so uh, phenomenology, the idea of uh, subjectivity and objectivity, you know, uh, 
a, a concept of philosophy that you you need to understand the objective reality of your space and etc but he right. he doesn't teach it right and it, it becomes a big problem <laughs> this is the big uh stoner philosophy element of this movie because <laughs> he's he's trying to explain i guess what is he trying to explain exactly he's, he's trying to teach phenomenology because he yeah. wants to uh suggest that there is an error that it's received in terms of the initial communication but he just doesn't right he's he's, he's too fried he teaches it cartesian doubt <laughs> and that's all information he receives from his senses is wrong or that you should be, be skeptical about absolutely all information <laughs> he teaches the wrong thing and then it's like oh well i mean then why should i trust any input that i receive whereas he he was really just trying to get him to uh question things with a little bit more evaluation <laughs> yeah but doolittle's finally like well, it doesn't matter where the information comes from, just that it's valid, right? Yeah, I, so, I, I like Doolittle flying out to it in the spacesuit. And I, that he has to physically fly out to personally <laughs> speak to it physically, like in space. Yep. <laughs> and are you willing to entertain a few concepts is how he starts the conversation, which is, I mean, yeah, we're, we're starting <laughs> a stoner. This is a bong circle conversation. <laughs> how do you know you exist? Uh, and like, well, obviously, intuitively, like, well, <laughs> intuition is no proof. <laughs> like, what concrete <laughs> evidence do you have? Like, I think, therefore, I am. And his sensory apparatus shows that other things exist. You know, same kind of concept as a human, but yeah, AI. So it's like, how do you know that everything that your sensory apparatus reveals to you is correct? And th that's enough for him to kind of like, mm, I mean, it, it could be wrong. I, I don't know that all everything my sensors say is right. And meanwhile, Boiler and Pinback are fighting because Boiler's decided <laughs> he's just going to shoot the pins out to uh, drop the bomb himself. Like he's just going to take the laser and shoot the pins out and physically yeah. drop it. And Pinback's like, you are not a good enough shot. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're a bad shot, please. <laughs> Get so, Cody Abilene on the case. Uh, I mean, maybe that's Boiler's problem. He he might um, be an Abilene. He might. Oh, my God. He could be an Abilene descendant. <laughs> so Bomb 20 is ultimately convinced it can't know whether or not its sensors are accurate. But that doesn't really change its mind yet. Yeah. Uh, Pinback has to punch out Boiler after <laughs> Boiler fires the gun right next to his head, almost kills him. <laughs> so the bomb's like, my purpose is to explode, but I can only do it one time. So, uh, Doolittle's like, you wouldn't want to explode on the basis of false information. No, and... I suppose I wouldn't. <laughs> but also... If that's so, I have no proof that you're telling me that. <laughs> this is the Cartesian doubt element. It's like, okay, you've just taught me to mistrust everything yeah. rather than uh, given me sort of a structured way to evaluate my reality. And it's like, I have no proof it was false data. And like, you have no proof it was correct data. Because, you know, they're mm. panicked. They need mm. to run through this philosophy really fast. And you can't speed run philosophy. 
<laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I'll think on it further. And it returns to the Bombay. <laughs> ah, crisis averted, right? Yeah. Ra do little radios. All right. Blow the seal on the emergency lock so I can get back in. Uh, and they... They blow the seal, and uh, <laughs> Talby is in there still, so he gets fucking blown out the back of the ship. Nobody noticed that he was in there. <laughs> and I love Doolittle's very mild reaction to like, oh no, Talby was in there. I, I guess I gotta go after him. Uh, <laughs> there, there's no uh, panic at, at yep. any point. <laughs> no, I'm just like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. So Pinback radios the bomb, like, all right, bomb, let's disarm. And he's like, you are false data. <laughs> <laughs> I have decided I am going to ignore you. And the bomb kind of develops a god complex. It's like, the only thing which exists is myself. Uh, <laughs> so it starts quoting scripture, the beginning of the Bible. And then, <laughs> let there be light. And it explodes Boom. inside the ship. Kaboom. <laughs> the whole ship goes. Uh, Powell survives. <laughs> yeah, even though he, he was the he first goes, to die he goes flying out <laughs> yeah, the block of ice containing him continues through space and we hear it go <laughs> 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 and Doolittle is falling into the planet's atmosphere uh, Talby gets uh, picked up by the phoenix asteroids he becomes a part of them to circle the universe endlessly he's so happy it's about a very that. metaphysical ending for him mm -hmm. uh, and Doolittle finds a piece of debris that's sort of surfboard shaped so he can surf <laughs> into the atmosphere and burn up. <laughs> uh, that's uh, it, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, Benson, Arizona plays again. And that's the end. Uh, weird fucking movie. Very, uh, it's, it's interesting as it is a, a, a parody of 2001 very directly. It has the same sort of stoner philosophy to it, but it is, like it, it's almost as serious in terms of its ideas of the future. Like it, it they're satirical, but they're also much they're they're chilling. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're very compelling in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it has a similar yeah. understanding of the dangers of AI. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and and like we're already seeing that people are having trying to have conversations with chatbots and it's not going so good <laughs> yeah i mean another one i don't know if you've seen colossus the forbin project are you familiar with that uh no no i don't know that one kind of a precursor uh inspiration for skynet and terminator oh, okay uh, we'll have to watch it sometime it's fucking great again this one they build a supercomputer and it takes over the world hmm. once it, it decides humans can't run it well enough <laughs> computers decide that a lot it's a big sci-fi concept. That that is mm. the the thing that's uh, that sci-fi has been warning us about AI for some time. I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting it whether we like it or not. We're moving in that direction, and we ain't slowing down. So we're also doing an episode of Ultra Q this week, the third episode, "The Gift from Space," first aired January sixteenth, nineteen sixty-six. That's uh. I mean, yesterday was the 16th of January, so... Oh, no kidding! So we're talking, uh, oh my gosh, we're talking like s almost 60 years. Yeah, uh, very close, I think, 57? Wow, yeah, 50... 58. 58, 
58 years. Uh, the Gift from Space, directed by Hajime Superaya, as uh, I think he directed most of them in this first season. Anyways, uh, so this one, it's very much our crew. I, I feel like we've really now, a couple episodes in, established our group of main characters and are starting to fill in a supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I now kind of have, now I kind of have a sense of the world, uh, at least this one organization within the world, although I I can't tell. Are they just news? What are these people? <laughs> well, it's. I, I think they have two different businesses because Jun and Ipe have an airline. Like they definitely run their own airline, and I think that's what their job is. I don't think they actually work for the newspaper, but they're. Oh, they just work with them all the time. Because they're buds with Yuri, and Yuri is right. like just hanging out with them, and she always hires them for all of her photography stuff because that's what they're doing mm -hmm. at the start they're flying over mount mihara to photograph an eruption right and there's this balloon dropping into the ocean but it is an alien balloon dun, dun, dun. like it, it it is like hot air balloon style but it is actually dropped by aliens yeah so they radio into ipe uh, he in the contact coast guard and we've got our opening narration where again we're kind of developing into a twilight zone thing yeah but not not like episodic it is it does because it has recurring characters whereas yeah. twilight zone i think was strictly episodic if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah. uh but it, it has that kind of style and it's a monster of the week kind of thing Mm -hmm. But I, I like just the Twilight Zone introduction that they've started to have, like interrupting the peaceful singing, because uh, mm -hmm. the two of them are singing in the plane. It landed on Earth. And what will it bring about for the next 30 minutes? You'll be. <laughs> and it's this is the part that was the same last time. You'll experience a parting of mind and body. I like that. I do, too. That's fun. And, and that is straight up um, the Twilight Zone. The, oh, uh, for sure. You enter a realm of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> so we cut back. Six months ago, Japan sent this rocket to film the surface of Mars, but it malfunctioned, and somehow this is the capsule returned, even though there's no way that could have been done. So some intelligence had to have sent it back. Right. And we were hanging out in this professor's lab, and it looks like Ipe is working with test tubes, which like caught, took me aback. At first, like <laughs> Ipe shouldn't be playing with test tubes; that doesn't look like a good idea. But I think it's actually just the coffee maker. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they're they're making it's a coffee or tea, uh, right? Thing. It's like right, oh, right. okay, because later uh, it's how they'll activate the second. Uh, bug or slug or whatever. <laughs> oh, the slugs. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, all right, there has to have been intelligent life on Mars because something sent the capsule back. And they've examined the parachute and it's not of earthly origin, whatever the material is. Right. Oh, yeah. They've got like this whole panel set up. And um... they're. Yeah, and they 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 look at the photos and they can't really figure out what they're looking at. It seems to be the bits of the slug slugs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't just maybe... like very small pieces of it that they can't really figure out or assemble. Well, maybe they need to take a nature book with picture of a slug and hold the photo up against it. I mean, ideally, that's probably what they would need to do. 
<laughs> oh, Rodan. Yeah. So there, they also found these two mysterious gold spheres. I'm like, cool. Is it some kind of gift? They look like Benoit balls. <laughs> 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 They're like in a case for them and stuff. <laughs> two of them. And they're like, oh, a symbol of friendship. But one of them's like, hey, optimism is dangerous. Yeah. You better keep this all confidential. You don't know what might, this might actually be about. I mean, definitely, definitely be cautious about weird rocks from space. Yeah. And then I don't know how much time passes, but then there's this cool super criminal in shades in a black suit. And he torches open this huge safe and finds the balls in with oh, a bunch dude, of cash. Oh, dude, the Blues brother. Yeah, there's these two dudes. And I don't know how much time has passed. This move, like this episode, it just fucking moves and moves and moves. And then it's like, yeah. wow, this is over. I, <laughs> I, I'm actually surprised how quick this was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, again, this is a coincidence heavy one. And I feel like we've already had some heavy, heavy coincidence in these, uh, in the couple episodes we've had already. Coincidence is a major factor in this show. Mm-hmm. But is it really a coincidence? Or is I mean, it, it sure, it the sure seems to be. Zone. I mean, maybe it's the cue. Because uh, the, the criminal happens to hold up Jun, specifically. Like, he shows up at the hangar while they're there at night. <laughs> and it's like, I need to get to Okura Island. Uh, and Jun refuses a wad of cash, so the guy hold, pulls a gun. <laughs> but then they just have a brawl. Which means yep. one of the balls gets dropped in their uh, hangar and left alone, left behind. Yeah. Uh, covered up by like some paper that fell on top of it. Yeah, a bunch of uh, files. So Jun ends up having to fly the guy to Okura. And there's this other dude who I think is his brother waiting on the They runway. are the Blues Brothers. Yeah. They're both dressed the same. They're in these black suits with shades. And for some reason, they enter a cave. <laughs> <laughs> the blues brothers live in a cave it's an upgrade from their apartment i don't know why they they go into this cave they slip on some slime and <laughs> uh the this the other ball goes like gets dropped from his pocket and it rolls into this bubbling goop yeah i wasn't sure what that was but cave goop cave goop <laughs> <laughs> maybe left behind from gomez or something I don't know. Uh, so they're counting the money in the cave for some reason. And <laughs> <laughs> like, this is straight out of that, uh, the second Gamera. This is like <laughs> totally th those two dudes in the cave with the evil scorpions that insta kill. <laughs> and an egg rises out of the muck, like a huge bubble, and it hatches, and out comes Namagon. <laughs> oh, it did have a name. I didn't catch it. Namagon. Namagon. Uh, so it's this big slug. It's got glowing eyes on stalks. It's kind of all just one big piece. Uh, I love this creature. It's cool. The tentacly mouth is good. The Zoidberg mouth. <laughs> uh, it fires what I would describe as jizz rays <laughs> out of its eyes. <laughs> They're like sperm shaped animation coming out of its eyes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. what to say. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> and the guys scream, and it—I guess it freezes them in in place with it. Like it, it they die, but yeah, they're frozen by the sperm ray. Yeah, <laughs> aliens. Yeah, back at the hangar, Ipe finds the ball, 
but obviously he has no idea what it is. He doesn't recognize it because they weren't shown yeah. the stuff. They didn't they didn't get to be at the the scientific panel. <laughs> With doctor and observer. Yeah. So the newspaper boss, uh, who I've started to really like as one of their side characters. Oh, uh, I like him too. Yeah. He's got this, there's a monster story on Okura Island. So it's like, hey, uh, you, go fucking deal with this monster story. It's like, uh, no, sir. <laughs> like, I'm the entertainment guy. <laughs> it's a matter of taste. Uh, I, I'm not into monster stories. And he's also terrified. Right. <laughs> but Yuri over here isn't like, I'll do it. It's like, you again. It's like, yeah, I like <laughs> monsters. I'm into this stuff. I'll be the kaiju girl. Fuck it. Yeah. Matter of taste. <laughs> so she obviously hires Jun and Ipe to take her there. And Ipe gives her this necklace with the pendant, the ball. <laughs> and I, I thought, was it expensive? And he's like, not really. And just this huge <laughs> grin on his face. <laughs> like, oh, was, the Blues Brothers dropped it in my office when we were having a fight. <laughs> So they get to the cave, and there's just all these people guarding it outside, but nobody's been uh, willing to go inside. They're all terrified. Uh, it reminds they're... me of like the scientists at the outside the mine at the first one. It's like mm -hmm. no one wants to go in or can explain a cave inside a cave. Yeah, they're all very worried, and they're there's been howling for three days. Uh, but now it's stopped, so they're like, it might be dead now, so it might be okay. <laughs> but we're still too scared to go in and look. So Jun, Yuri, and Ipe is like, all right, we'll go in. And uh, Yuri borrows a flashlight. Ipe tries to borrow someone's machine gun, but they're like, no, you can't have my gun. <laughs> uh, so they find cash strewn everywhere and like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> they find a flashlight and then... Finally, Yuri finds uh, our super criminal's frozen dead body. <laughs> and Ipe and Yuri are like, oh, this guy must have been the monster. They've personally experienced multiple monsters by this point. At least three that we know about. It shouldn't be that shocking. And also, they know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does seem that like he dropped him off here not that long ago. Here. Like, specifically, <laughs> this spot, like, three days ago, and he, it takes him, he's like, oh, I mean, he was probably the monster. And like, how? You know this guy personally. You're the one who brought this guy here. Yep. <laughs> but they start gathering the cash, and of course, uh, the real monster shows up. Uh, whatever it's been doing, it, it pops up. And uh, Jun grabs the robber's gun and shoots at it a bunch while they're <laughs> fleeing, which is kind of fun. Yep. <laughs> So they run out of the cave. It bursts through the rock wall, which is cool. I don't know yeah. why it's just been hanging out in the cave for three days, but now it's activated. It's coming for him. <laughs> it needed the needed the presence of a kaiju girl. I do like how slimy it is when you get it out in the light. It, it's not oh, very yeah. visible in the first time you see it in the cave, but it's quite grody and slimy when it comes out. Because mm -hmm. there's not much to it. It's kind of all just one rubber piece. <laughs> yeah, it, it almost looks inflatable. Like like yeah. like its body might be an elongated beach ball. But the yeah, slime yeah. texture adds a lot to it. The slime adds quite a bit. I, I feel like you could do a pool toy version of this that you could ride on. You know, 
kind of oh. be into that. That'd be rad. Yeah, <laughs> totally. There's there's a Pokemon that you could ride, or in the games that you could ride on, that's kind of the same shape, but it's more of a Loch Ness monstery type thing. Oh, yeah, I think I know the one you mean. It's blue and white. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jun draws its attention, uh, getting the others to go the other way, and he just empties the clip at it. He throws the gun, very classic. <laughs> Gotta throw the gun. Gotta throw the gun, and then he... He goes just over the edge of a cliff and it chases and it just goes right sailing off into the ocean and it melts. Yep. Because it's a slug. <laughs> it's a slug. Salt. The salt water just kills it. I think it's amazing that they make the salt water connection, but not the salt connection itself. Yeah, it is kind of strange. <laughs> so the uh, the our, our three people, they go to see our professor again, the guy from the beginning. And they go to his lab and uh, they're theorizing about Earth and how, like, well, maybe the exploration of space that Earth has just started is maybe it's cramping some people's style in the universe. And they're <laughs> kind of, th this is a warning that we're making people nervous out there. Could be that, I guess. Uh, they They seem to assume that they've got it right, but it could be that well yuri is like maybe humans aren't allowed to join this galactic federation that currently exists because you know uh all of the injustices that still exist on earth like racism war slavery sex trafficking <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining like like a side effects uh commercial list of just all the things that humans do that the aliens wouldn't want us to join the federation for yeah, it's like uh, th this planet isn't evolved enough to join the Federation yet. That's kind of her concept. The, the, mm -hmm. It's like, uh, it's probably because Earth sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so Ipe starts talking really big about how oh, it's going to take more than just some Martian slug to hurt humanity. You think they're so big. And then Yuri's pendant starts expanding from the heat next to the Bunsen <laughs> burner because she's like <sighs> doing some, making some coffee. And... <laughs> Immediately, she's mad at him, and it's like, I, I'm apolog I apologize. Yours, no, I won't forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just made a necklace out of an alien egg for you. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, uh, but yeah, I, I really like her. No, I won't forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> so they just drop it out the window, and it hatches outside in the front yard, and the voiceover just starts and like, I mean, saltwater will probably take care of it. It's not going to really be a problem. Uh, but hey, <laughs> the next gift might be more dangerous. And that's how it ends. Like, oh, wow, that just kind of ends. Yeah. <laughs> it just deal with the second one. No, it just fades out with them ramp with the second one rampaging. <laughs> just like moving through the dark. I'm like, oh, OK. And th that is it. Uh, yeah. Very quick. It, it feels like this one could have been a movie. Like you could have just done a whole movie based on this episode. Oh, easily. Or a two-parter or something, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it feels a little over-compressed. Mm -hmm. A lot does happen. Uh, but yeah, they, you know. Yeah, they introduce a lot of concepts, especially if they end up being right about aliens. Yeah, and I think they do. This is sort of why I feel maybe this one uh, is more important to the series uh, in terms of uh, what it sets up. Because, you know, this becomes the Ultraman series. Right, right. 
they are an ongoing series that all kind of connect to each other. So ultimately, Ultraman shows up, who is part of this Galactic Federation, who is like, all right, I'm going to come and take care of Earth. Because like, you've seen Shin yeah. Ultraman, which is yeah, yeah. He that concept. Yeah, he's an alien. He's like, okay, I'm going to help Earth now because all this shit. Yeah. So this kind of sets that up. This is opening up the universe, which is kind of cool. It's an like it. interesting way to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, that's all uh, on Ultra Q and Darkstar. Do you have any last thoughts before we move on to part two? It's cold outside. There's hardly any atmosphere. Something, something. Red Dwarf song. The the lyrics to that song make no sense. Uh, the I believe the second line is drinking fresh mango juice. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, it, it's uh, it, it is actually nonsense. If you listen to the lyrics, there's a line about goldfish bowls nippling at my toes. Goldfish oh, wow. bowls. Uh, yeah. I don't <laughs> Wait, <know>. what? <laughs> that doesn't make. Yeah, well, no, I, yeah. I, no I nonsense. It, it is a nonsense song, but uh, yeah, it's catchy. Dun 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 dun. Fun, fun, fun. In the sun, which yeah, this is Dark Star. They're doing the Benson, Arizona. Benson, Arizona. Because Benson, Arizona is actually also kind of a nonsense song if you listen to it. It is also talking about space, but it's I don't know. Good stuff. Uh, so we'll move on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we've got three additional films. I think only one that we've got a lot that we're likely to talk about, but a couple other pretty interesting ones, I think. So mm-hmm. first up, I think our main second feature, Cutter's Way from 1991, uh, directed by Ivan Passer, originally Cutter and Bone, just the name of the book that it's based on. Uh, oh, okay. Later, The Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A very interesting one to look at knowing Lebowski really well, because uh, it, it, it this is sort of a known thing with the Coen brothers is that uh, or, or at least a, a popular theory of interpreting their movies is they tend to do a serious version of a film and then they do the same concept in kind of a more comedic take. Mm-hmm. So Lebowski is Fargo. Like is is them doing the comedic heist kidnapping thing but doing it more as a farce. Like Fargo obviously has a lot of humor in it, but it's you know Lebowski is uh, following it up and people didn't get it at the time. It was very unpopular, but it's also clearly this like so <laughs> yeah. clearly specifically this it's jeff bridges as kind of a loser with his uh, overly enthusiastic vietnam veteran friend who pulls out guns at the most inappropriate times yeah. a- among other things yeah no there, there's a lot of stuff i mean it's it's also the crime plot that with the yep. town founder guy our jj cord <laughs> is a big lebowski type Yes, he, uh, he would be the big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh so it's it's interesting. Um I think Bridges is really fucking great in this movie. He really is. Uh he he gives me kind of a Brad Pitt energy or Brad Pitt vibe in this one. Proto Brad Pitt, definitely. <laughs> I, I feel like you know, Pitt 
starts working as a child actor just a few years after this. Okay. And I would see him very likely taking a lot of inspiration from uh, Bridges because Bridges grew up from the child acting system. He was a Disney kid. Oh, uh, right. I, I, I think uh, both him and Kurt Russell. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Bridges was cool. Bridges just had an effortless cool to him. And he was part of an acting family. So he was never uh he, he was never a full of himself kind of star type he he was always like i'm a working actor and uh i i just this is my job and i'm good at it mm-hmm. and he is he's, he's really fucking great at it. at it he's one of the all times <laughs> he all is times. Uh, i agree i i've seen a lot of praise for john hurt in this and i think he's good but Maybe it's just because I'm too used to him in some other roles that the voice always seems too put on to me as Cutter. Oh, you don't think people really talk like this? He, Yeah, he kind of seems like he's just a biker parody. I, I, maybe it's just because, like, for John Hurd, I mostly think of him in Chud, which is the following year. So it's the same guy. It's the same voice, but he's not doing, like, he's just doing his John Hurd voice there. Right. <laughs> so I, I think of him there and just like, you don't sound like that, John Hurd. Who are you trying to fool? So well, especially it, when he's uh, like talking to the cop and he yeah. does a normal voice like, oh, you're right. going to cite me for that, officer. Like, I understand it's your it. duty. Yeah. So, I mean, I, to an extent, obviously, Cutter himself is putting it on, but it feels too put on too much of the time for it to entirely work for me. Uh, oh, Chud is 84. I thought it was 82. Oh. Uh, he's in Cat People the following year. Yikes. That's a... Oh. That one also, that's a weird fucking movie and a weird performance. But there, again, he's more like this. And, you know, I mean, most iconically, I guess, he's he's um, the dad in Home Alone. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's uh, Kevin's dad. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm picturing him in those roles. Like, I, I picture him in Big, uh, where I think he's also <laughs> the dad. I feel like he, he did a lot of dad roles in the late 80s, early 90s. And yeah, just him doing this. I, I'm Cutter. I'm going to show you. And like, I don't know. It, it never fully convinces me as much as like it's, it's otherwise fine. But also the character is so over the top, like right from the moment you meet him. The character is uh, ridiculous. He's a, an absurd person. <laughs> I mean, oh, so he, yeah, he's a Vietnam veteran. He has lost an eye and arm and I think a leg or the I use of so. his leg. I think he's got a wooden leg. Right. So, yeah. and uh, he's also very much like, hey, I'm just a little guy. You can't hurt me. I'm, yeah. a, yeah. I'm a cripple. I can't <laughs> do that. You can't. You won't just hit a little guy. After 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 he's gotten too out of pocket for people to not address it. You know, he, yeah, he, he pushes it until someone has to. Uh, yeah, he's he's a fucking shithead. <laughs> yeah, it's a real asshole. But he's got he's got his uh, he's got his way. Yeah, he's definitely got his sense of justice that. Uh, uh maybe it it feels a little too narrow well yeah it's it's completely this is not this isn't nom there are rules 
he, he is doing the Walter argument and it, it just, uh, it, the, there's no application just as there isn't when Walter's like angry at the, uh, diner waitress who tells him to stop swearing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. My friends died face down in the muck. I'm like, I don't <laughs> think this really has anything to do with that, Walter. I'm like, well, you know, there's sort of a connection. <laughs> well, it, uh, and it's exactly that. He brings yeah. everything back to his time in Vietnam. Every time Bridges is like, I don't want to do this. Oh, yeah, run away. Like, you ran away. It's not actually <laughs> stated, but it, I think it's heavily implied that Bridges dodged the draft. Yeah, which totally fits with his character. Yeah. He is the he's a he's Dick Bone, fucking <laughs> low class gigolo. Never in the movie, not once I referred can... to as Dick Bone. But you'd think it, it seems like he think. should, because it's it's right there. But yeah, it's it's Richard Bone. So he's Richard Bone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, and his whole thing is like he. He's like the anti-dude. He does not abide. He doesn't want to have anything to do with anything that's happening. No, he's never happy about anything happening in the entire movie. He he is like on a nihilistic down spiral, which seems to just be th this movie has that kind of vibe. This is a, an excruciatingly nihilistic film. Oh, very. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't even have a capital N nihilists. No, uh, just there, there is such a, a darkness at the center of this movie, and I, it does oh. sort of feel like a, a Vietnam hangover kind of thing, and it is examining that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm interested to read the book sometime. Yeah, um, now that I know it's based on one, yeah, I'd love to. Is it, Now, do we know if the book is based on a true story? Probably not. No, I don't think so. Uh, there, There's very little information available about the book like the wikipedia page is a stub hmm. uh but yeah I, I mean i'd be interested uh, sure uh could be good like i i have no idea how much they changed <laughs> well yeah there's that too <laughs> yeah. uh, so we open with uh richbone as he as he will be called uh at the encanto hotel where he is uh servicing what? a lady not quite closing the deal on selling a sailboat. <laughs> no, <laughs> turns out, no, he, he's uh, closing a different deal. Yeah, no, he he's selling himself. That that's something that he's better at. Uh, yeah, it feels like he's not really any good as a boat salesman, and that he's I kind of just so. kept there as like he's kept there for his gigolo prowess. He's there because you're gonna have a lot of rich ladies going through this business, people buying boats uh rich dudes buying boats with unsatisfied wives it's like he's he's a side business <laughs> it, it, well his boss georgie pretty much basically states that that's what he's there for us yeah you're here because you look good yeah and you have a sweet fucking deal right now oh completely which he does yeah and i feel like he acknowledges that it's just he hates everything about it he, he's yeah. just not a happy dude mm-hmm uh, I do love his boss, who is also clearly just uh, in uh, in the pocket of J.J. Cord. <laughs> like, it's so evident the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, like the very first time we see J.J. Cord 
like the first time that we know it's him, we mm. see the, his boss riding behind. Look at me, I'm on a horse. <laughs> yeah, and they were here, they were there to see him, and that, mm. that's why uh, Cord was so noticeable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's after his encounter at the Encanto. Uh, the woman's like, well, you weren't that good anyway. <laughs> yeah, and like, you're, you're not actually all that good at this. And like, yeah, it's just the looks. <laughs> I'm not actually, you know, I'm not a stud or anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, he, uh, his shitty Healy convertible breaks down in the alley where I guess he's just leaves it there for the rest of the movie because i don't think we see it again no i think it just broke down and it wasn't worth towing it might get might have gotten towed away by the police and impounded and mm, not yeah. be worth paying not to get worth, it back the impounders could just keep that piece Cause, of shit because he does get picked up by the police and they do know that his car was found there and it's very likely that they would have towed it away at that point because oh evidence just, and all that yeah. well, maybe not even evidence is just like this shouldn't be left here well, uh well, that too <laughs> Yeah, Good and point. then, yeah, I I wouldn't see any reason for him to buy it back if it doesn't work, and he doesn't have money, and he doesn't <laughs> really give a shit about anything. No, no. But he almost gets ran over by this guy in this huge Cadillac who, you can't really see it because it's dark and because of the silhouette, which I really like. Like, they don't <laughs> linger on it, but he's hiding a body. He is dumping a human woman into a trash can, and you can see her legs sticking out. Yeah, I, I think... One of the things that's interesting about this movie is how much deniability there is for the plot that mm -hmm. up until the very end, it is questionable whether Cord had anything to do with it. I would argue that even after, even the after, end, but still question, there's still some questionable. There is questionable. a small area of doubt. It's just it's very unlikely because of the way Cord acts at the end. The the very yeah. final couple things that Cord does are extremely suspect uh mm. to a point that it seems very unlikely that he is in any way innocent it's just you know uh up until that point it really could be totally innocent the whole time that he has yeah. absolutely nothing to do with it. it it could be um yeah uh, all the way up until the end they never never once find any hard evidence no which uh which is interesting and it kind of makes it kind of makes this whole adventure that they go on really interesting it gives some um, credibility to bridges for not wanting to go on it it's like dude right. we have no proof yeah and it's it's something that he is recognizing right from the beginning he sees the guy the next day at this founders day parade and it's like hey that's the guy and oh man Money clouds in in uh, appearing in Cutter's head and like oh, oh my god I can cash in on this, uh, that's yeah. that's a town founder oh my god we're gonna fucking fleece yeah. this guy that's the guy it's that's a conspiracy the guy. are you sure are you sure it's him <laughs> it's definitely because, a conspiracy yeah <laughs> and then Alex begins questioning uh, well immediately questioning he's like look <laughs> I don't know oh well I I like that Bone is right away like. How, how come on i mean i i saw him at the parade it, there's how do i know it, it's just it, it might be i i don't think it could really be uh, there's any number of reasons i could associate him with the other guy yeah because uh it, it, well it gets established that he saw or that cord was at the encanto hotel at the same time so he might have right. seen him there yeah they, they may have uh, met in the parking lot and then yeah uh 
Cutter starts like, oh, well, what exact time was it? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and Bowen's like, dude, I just went I through just this with the police. Six hours with the cops. Okay, but what exact time was it? Yeah, and like, well, now I want to know. Now I'm interested because I could profit from it. <laughs> Cutter does seem like a real piece of shit. Like, he yeah. does feel like he is completely willing to use everyone down to nothing. Mm-hmm. Down to the bone. Uh, uh, we got to talk about Marine. Yeah, sad, sad <laughs> Marine. Donnie, oh, the, the Donnie. Donnie of the film. She is uh, out of her element. Uh, Cutter's wife, Mo, wife. Uh, who is the longest suffering. It, it has just been bullshit for her ever since he came back from Vietnam. It's obvious. I don't really yeah. know why she sticks around. I She doesn't seem to know why she sticks around. Yep uh she's her and bridges clearly have a relationship of sorts they seem to uh, hate each a, other actually yeah. they they don't oh, seem yeah. to have a relationship they seem to just despise each other uh more her than him it just she hates him for i think enabling cutter i i think he is just the one person who is constantly there giving cutter what he wants and uh, propping up his bullshit and allowing Cutter to keep being Cutter. Uh, when we first see Marine, she comes into the room holding a bottle of liquor, sitting down next to another bottle of liquor on the table. Yeah, she's drinking she's... all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she is a non-functioning alcoholic. Uh, later yeah. on, there is that scene where she buys groceries and uh, everyone's astonished, even herself, and she's immediately like i don't know i wanted to try something different i'm sorry alex i'll take him back uh that that actually really disturbed me because she's like i just wanted to buy food i wanted to eat food i'm sorry alex like that's fucked up well they're they're both yeah they're just it, it is an alcohol household they are just a couple drunk people who live in this sort of uh gradually worsening relationship they just drink Mm. and do nothing else uh an exclusively medicated life yeah and she's all like oh no i'm i'm happy i'm happy with alex and i definitely wouldn't have still if you had sticked around bone i still wouldn't have married with you but you didn't stick around so it doesn't matter well yeah bone had other prospects because he's super hot yeah yeah but it didn't lead to anything for him either no it didn't end up being worthwhile and he's in the same place at the end of whatever he went to go do yeah so maureen's life sucks she sees herself as stuck with bone but she's like trying to convince herself that she loves him uh and bridge is like you're just waiting for his resurrection and it's not gonna happen yeah, no, there, there's no coming back from whatever Cutter is. He is just yeah. he, he he has leaned into what he is. He's not he's not looking for rock bottom. He's past it and he's just stayed there. Uh, mm-hmm. He he's broken. Like Vietnam has destroyed him mentally. Uh, but he's it, it seems like he was maybe always shitty. Like he's just someone who has always been a lot someone who's always been a problem kind of person and uh just bone has just always been the dude who is there for him the only one Mm -hmm. Uh, i definitely get that impression too 
that uh, even before yeah <laughs> he he's he still had all these wacky schemes and stuff i bet he's just they maybe made a little bit more sense before vietnam yeah uh, he, he's a wacky scheme kind of guy a get rich quick kind of guy <laughs> totally totally and, and i mean he's kind of not even doing this for justice he's kind of doing it for the money <laughs> oh i think he's completely doing it for the money i don't think any of the justice speeches have any kind of merit or val validity like at the end he does have his whole kamikaze attack but i i feel like that that's more just because he was penned in he he felt the walls closing in on him yeah, uh, yeah. more than <laughs> it, it was any kind of grand gesture uh mm. Uh, there, also, at this point, uh, Bridges has been forced to meet the de the sister of the murdered girl, uh, uh, which Valerie is such Duran. a yeah, which is a very bizarre scene when he's being interrogated by the police and he gives them the story and is like, I mean, I, I didn't really see anything. There was just this car. And he's like, oh yeah, well, why don't you tell it to the dead girl's sister? And like, I don't know. That seems like something the police wouldn't normally do. That seems. Uh, I feel like as a civilian, I should be allowed to say no when I'm asked to do that. Yeah, it, it just seems uh, super unprofessional on any number of levels in that like, oh, you're a suspect. We're going to like have <laughs> the two of you meet and you, you can tell it to her face. And it just the whole thing is very strange. But uh, she ends up falling in with this because uh, she's intrigued by Bone. People tend to be intrigued by him at first. Yeah, I do think for her, uh, it's kind of, I think she wants the money too. She's like, no, yeah. we'll give the money back for sure. No, absolutely. All of them are definitely in it for the money to an extent. It's just, she definitely has more of a personal connection. It, yeah. She's the only one with a personal connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Like <laughs> Alex is, the fact that Alex is the one who made contact with the sister after the police thing is ridiculous. And that she yeah. off screen, she agreed to beat this freaking weirdo and go with him. And, and and he must have told her the plan before they went to meet with Bridges. Well, clearly, because <laughs> she's much more into it than he is. Like Bridges is the one who sees the problem and she's not really thinking ahead uh through the details of it. Like we're we're gonna just send a message to this rich guy who we know kills people to try to blackmail him for money uh and we're nobody does that seem <laughs> yeah. like a good idea yeah their whole thing is like when he pays the money it's like he's not going to pay the money guys <laughs> yeah well uh, and yeah he's just gonna come and kill us uh yeah. it, it seems like a thing that he could very easily do and it's the same thing that mo says when uh alex or sorry when when richard they they've convinced him like all right i will take part in this if you tell mo <laughs> yeah that's that's where we get the whole scene where she brings home the groceries and everyone's yeah. kind of giving her a hard time about it yeah. and she's like i wanted to eat food and and yeah alex tells her and she's like what the actual fuck, Alex? Yeah, it's like, what you realize that this is stupid. She brings up those objections. Like, yeah. why wouldn't this guy just kill you? Uh, and you're obviously doing this for the money. And I know every single one of you is. And this is just bullshit that you're going to just hand over the money. And that it's not actually going to be blackmail. Uh, I, I don't fall for that from any of you. Uh, the, the only one she seems kind of disappointed in as far as that is Bone in that uh 
she did not think he would be in it for that. And he isn't. He brought her into this because he doesn't want to do it. He yeah. <laughs> he 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 didn't think that Alex would uh, tell would tell Mo, but he he like, tells okay. her, but then he's like, "All right, fine, I will take part in this." And then uh, <laughs> they they're waiting for the call, and it's like, "I guess he's not." And they have him call, and he pretends to call, and it's like, "All right, I I, I got to admit, I didn't even deliver the the message because this is stupid. <laughs> I just Which... hoped when I told when I told you that nothing would happen that you'd just give up." <laughs> <laughs> Alex doesn't take that well at all. They're at like this carnival, and he had and uh, Bone had run won a plushie for Valerie. He yeah. fucking takes the plushie and throws it into the water and shoots it. Starts shooting at it in the water. He has a complete fucking freak out. Uh, yeah. yeah, just shooting a gun in a public place. Uh, yep, total menace. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know why Bone thought it would work. Because I feel like Bone has probably been through a situation or two with this guy before, and I feel like he should know that it would not blow over. <laughs> well, he... maybe there have been previous situations that have blown over, but this seems like maybe. too big of one. He's too invested. He had to tell Mo. He had to be lectured. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing. They Georgie talks to him later. It's like, look, I know Alex does all this stupid shit, but yeah. you can't fuck with JJ Cord. Like. Yeah. Don't go after Dick Cheney, guys. Yeah, this this is way too dangerous. Uh, you, you're going after someone who could very easily blow back on you. And I've also been reporting to him all of your movements. I, I do feel <laughs> like Georgie is giving uh, an inside scoop to J.J. Cord on everything that happens the entire movie. 100%. I mean, that's why that's got to be why he's having Alex stay in his pool house later on. Yeah, completely. It's it's a it's an easy way to keep track of him. But he needs Bone to translate what he's seeing from Alex into rationality because he yeah. can't figure out Alex, yeah. even though he's watching him. He doesn't get him uh, yeah. for good reasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he I, obviously Cutter decides, well, I'm going to take it to him anyways, and I'm going to go through with it and. We're just cutting you out of it. What do you think about that? And he's like, fine. That's all I want. I didn't want to be a part of this in the first place. Yeah, so he's like, well, don't expect me home tonight. I'm going to do this whole thing. And Bones at the house with Marine, and they they end up sleeping together. They get it on, and she is uh, she has mixed feelings about it. Yeah. <laughs> She's not She's very like, happy. Uh, and th this is, again, it's to create another area of plausible deniability because the house is going to be burned down and she is killed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Bone thinks maybe it was suicide because she was not in a good place. Yeah, yeah. And she's all like, don't leave, just stay just for tonight. And then he leaves. He's like, I'll stay just for tonight, and then proceeds to leave. He, of course, leaves, and he's going to blame himself for this for yeah. most of the movie until the sort of final reveal, which, again, is maybe just him deciding on an out, although I do feel like the Cord's actions do suggest he is the villain that he's been painted as. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the next day, the very next day after he sleeps with her, we find the house is burnt to the ground and there is nothing left yeah uh and obviously now uh cutter is sure that this has been an attack and that 
and he was aware that yeah. uh, Bone was going to be there, and he realizes that he was trying to kill Bone, not him. Yeah, not Core. Yeah. But not Core didn't. Yeah, but Core didn't see you leave. Yeah, that's why. So he mm-hmm. he's pretty sure that he was going after Bone in the first place, and he decides like, all right, I'm all in on this. He builds a he builds one of his boards. You know, he got a Pepe Silva board on you the need pool one. table. You got to yeah. have one. And he's building it in Georgie's place. So Georgie can very easily keep track of it. And it's like, okay, Cord, this is what they've got. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he calls in, Georgie calls in Bowen and he's like, dude, seriously. Do something whatever about Alex is. Yeah. Do, stop Alex because I actually don't have any control over this guy. Yeah. I don't have control here. He's going to cause a problem and I don't know who's going to be affected. Uh Please go tell him not to try to kill the richest man in town, one of the town founders. It could be a problem mm. for everybody. <laughs> uh, Alex uh, reveals, quote unquote, and again, this is one of those plausible deniability ones that Cord apparently killed Georgie's father in order to take over the marina. Right. He feels that, that that's his secret history of how things happened. And that's how Georgie ended up under Cord's thumb and that he practically raised him. I was like, huh, well, I mean, that all sounds plausible, but I don't know if that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> uh, so uh, Cutter has this plan where he's going to wear a disguise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's so convincing in a disguise too, right? You're going to put him in a tux <laughs> with his fucking straggly post-Vietnam hair. Uh, and his eye patch and him talking like this all the time. <laughs> the day after he like goes up to court at like this polo game is like, you're finished. Everyone <laughs> yeah. find out what you did. Yeah. He has personally gone after him in public already. And like he, they've also had the other times when they've been discussing the whole thing at a table in a public restaurant next to his wife, to JJ Cord's like- wife. <laughs> It's like a cord-owned country club. Yeah, it's a place he owns. So, like, he's obviously got everything on them all the time, but they they decide they're going to go in, they're going to steal Georgie's invitation to this big gala party. And yeah. uh, Bone is going to pose as the chauffeur, and Cutter's going to be his... Uh, i don't know he's supposed to be a veteran i think but not not a non-veteran i guess i i don't know what what the idea is but yeah he's he's supposed to be some kind of important guy but they get in and they sort of infiltrate the party the part about this that kills me is cutter says you know Maureen would have loved this plan (laughs) (laughs) no she would not have i guarantee she loved costumes (laughs) Do we know that about her? <laughs> I don't know. I I don't really believe this part at all. But you know, he's 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 convinced himself. Uh, but yeah. security spots them very quickly. They're they are, or they they spot uh, Cutter very quickly. You know, Cutter uh, gets course, chased yeah. very very soon. Uh, they they do spot Bone too, and he's like, yeah. "Oh yes, I'm Richard Alexander." You mean <laughs> Richard Bone? Yeah, like come mm. on. I know who you are. Uh, you, you work for a guy who works for me. Uh, and <laughs> he takes him to a back room. And it is it is like the big Lebowski's pad with all of, like, the awards and shit and pictures of him yeah. with, like, Reagan. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I thought the twist was going to be that 
Cord uh, was blind and couldn't have done it because of his big sunglasses. Oh. But uh, no, they didn't go in that direction. That's a Lebowski twist. Right. Uh, so there, he tries to explain to him and he sort of pretends that there's no real thing going on. But Cutter, meanwhile, has stolen a horse. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> Just... <laughs> He's like riding back towards the mansion while Cord's giving the speech like, well, I was in the war too. Do you think it would help if I talked to him in private? <laughs> and then, yeah, he... Uh, <laughs> jumps the horse into the window uh huh. to, and gets and he's dying he, he just dies like fucking, from his injuries from the glass yeah yeah he he gets fucking rocketed through the window he's just dying on the floor and then cord puts on the sunglasses and starts laughing and <laughs> <laughs> and bridges is like you, you did, did do it, it didn't you it's like what if he's it like, were <laughs> and he takes he takes the gun still in alex's hands points it at cord and pulls the trigger and that's the credits. end yeah that is the end of the movie we don't even know if he hit cord although i assume he did i mean I'm, it, it we seems assume, like i assume he did he, he probably him. had it going on but yeah uh it's it's a very sudden and abrupt and like oh shit he really it was real the whole time because the corruption does go that deep yeah yeah because uh, it, it is a like i said a super like a spiral of nihilism kind of movie i i want to call out one thing that we didn't touch upon it just in terms of the visuals of this movie very striking oh uh, yeah very beautifully shot there's one shot in particular that really sticks in my mind where uh it's it's the first time they're planning <laughs> the the whole scheme with the sister and alex and uh richard all outside in just sort of this night's green space uh with the ocean behind them so oh, the, yeah, like yeah. super super brightly lit and you've got uh cutter taking a big drag on a cigarette and blowing smoke but the the uh, this the oceanscape behind him is so bright and blown out that the smoke just occupies the triangle of green of himself so like oh. he like he's just this pillar of smoke with just bright light all around him Oh, I never so noticed cool that. That's cool. Super cool. It sticks in my head. Oh, we also didn't talk about his uh, drunk driving scene with the neighbor. Oh, yeah. And he fucking That's destroys like fun... the neighbor's car and like hits it multiple times. And oh, I guess I need more practice. <laughs> <laughs> and then he the like gets in doing? a fight with the neighbor. And then as soon as the cop shows up, it's like, uh, you know, you know, I said a couple things, but you know, he's he's completely subservient. Yeah, he he dropped he drops the voice. Yeah. Well, you got to do your duty, officer. Yeah, I, I, I understand. Thing or two about duty. Yeah, and then, so he he's very able to convince the cop to not give him most of the tickets, and uh, the neighbor <laughs> makes a fool of himself because he's yeah. still mad. Yeah, he's he's still swearing, and yeah. the officer's like language. Yeah, Cutter's just good at dropping the facade when he needs to, because it is just a facade. It is just him doing a bit all the time because he knows he can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like before we see Cord at the parade, he's just basically being a one man racist Statler and Waldorf of the parade. Yeah, and he's 
that that's the first time we see him even before that he's at a poker table just making a bunch of racist comments to yeah it drops uh, a hard n-word until the point that a fight is about to start he's like hey i'm just a little guy i'm just a little guy yeah yeah, i've been in the war and bone has to hustle him out of there yeah it's clearly this is the cycle that this guy has uh yeah but yeah, that, that this is why that that image of the pillar of smoke uh, being him uh, and and just the only dark space and the bright California coast, uh, very striking and feels uh, elemental to the whole movie. Yeah, it, that's good a, flick. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I probably like Lebowski better because you know. <laughs> yeah, I I think Lebowski uh, is a very effective satire of it. it it's just really mm-hmm. interesting. Like it, it makes the movie more interesting to have seen Lebowski, and you look at this and like, yeah, this is clearly where they were, what they were using. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. So next we've got Charlie Victor Romeo, uh, which is a 2013 film based on a series of plays. That uh, started running in 1999. Oh, it was a series of them. Yeah, like they they did a bunch of different uh, pieces. I I don't know if it would always be like a bunch of different ones. Uh, But this isn't the like, I think there's some different ones that they might occasionally do. I'm not Uh, sure if this is a a comprehensive collection of all of their pieces, but. I kind of hope it's not because this is interesting and I'd like to see more. Yeah, as I mentioned last week, uh, I do have some issues with the translation for two of the sequences. <laughs> uh, the Jap- the Japan Air one is very, it's rough. Uh, all your base is yeah. belong to us. Yeah, and I feel like there's a fair amount of that in the Aero Peru one as well. It's not quite mm-hmm. as severe there, but the Japan one, it just, like, we're clearly doing a literal translation from a language that has a slightly different structure and a bit of maneuvering to make it properly conversational like it actually was meant and would have been spoken at the time would have had a better effect in terms of the immersion like obviously it's it is a very abstract film we're not Mm -hmm. we're in a fake cockpit in a black box (laughs) i do like like I've written down a couple of quotes from the mm. Japan one. Uh, Contact the company. Who of the company? Yeah. And like, guys, you know that that's not how the actual dialogue would have felt. And I feel like them kind of adhering very strongly to the literal exact dialogue makes it really weird and stiff, kind of alien. But it sort of works in the meta feel for this whole thing as this purgatory where it's like this group of six people who are just cycling through different identities but dying in car in plane crashes over and over again well i find part of the reason i don't take it as much issue with the translation is i don't really understand what they're talking about anyway so the feel mm. of what they're talking about to me is more important than the actual actual words spoken but for me the feel of it is killed because of that dialogue being so stiff mm. like i hear that like it just doesn't sound realistic to me so the way it, it it takes me out of it in a very major way okay okay i i, I can see that yeah that's that's fair uh, i mean when they're with the peru one they're just saying speed reduce the over speed and increase the down speed yeah and the terrain terrain and uh, yeah there's a, a lot of stuff in that we're just like 
this is not how these people would be speaking in this emergency situation. And like even the swearing that they do feels so fake and awkward because of the way they've translated it. Uh, speed. That's what's going to fuck us. Yeah. Like, ah, it's close, but it's not quite right. And it just, it, it's, it, it really does take me out of those two parts. I kind uh, of feel like some of the actors actually agree with you. I, I wouldn't um, be surprised because like like in their performances i feel like they don't fully understand what they're saying in some of them well yeah that that is a big part of it that the awkwardness of the phrasing makes it like how do i even pronounce this sentence in a way that mm. naturally flows with the with what's going on here and they can sort of pull it off in places but when there's so much of it it starts to feel like i don't know what are we doing yeah so there's uh, what six uh six incidents i will say yeah uh they're not all crashes and they aren't all disasters although most, most of, of them have some fatalities and I think a lot they, of them have i'm pretty sure all of them are crashes uh i i think they all do crash down in every single one of them it's just one of them there's no casualties the right first one uh the first one which <laughs> uh Kind of set the mood in the wrong way by having the one where everybody survives being the first one. It's interesting. Uh, it it kind of uh, makes you expect that more people are going to survive in later ones, but yeah. there's a long time before anybody survives again. Uh, but the first one sets the tone great for like what we're going to see because it's, yeah, uh, it, it's it's kind of amazing. They're just talking. It's like, oh yeah, I'm new, uh, but. That's okay. I can help you out with this. Uh, okay, well, it's good. We're doing pretty good. Oh, shit, shit. Fuck, fuck, fuck. And basically just that. And then, oh, my God. God bless you, sir. Yeah. because like, It's like, instant. Yeah, the, the altimeter was set wrong. Mm -hmm. So this first one, the altimeter was incorrectly set. So they were actually 70 feet lower than they, th than they thought. Uh, yeah, so they, they, they hit, hit some a tree, trees. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the trees uh, got into the engines. Uh, but they made it. They no made casualties. it. Nobody died. Yeah. Uh, that was the first one. <laughs> yeah. And then the second one, it's very sudden. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, this is the one where they're like, they're all socializing. The captain's partying in the back with the flight attendants at one point. Yeah. And this one, it is a long period of just, and I, that one's weird because I, I, it does feel strange to have this guy ogling the flight attendant <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of sleazy and leering and like, this guy died. <laughs> this guy died <laughs> yeah, that this night. This is a real person. This is a real person. This kind of We're feels gonna weird. We're going to listen to his death. Yeah. Uh, and he goes back and he's hanging with them for a while. And it is sort of weird, the flatness with which he responds when the guy's calling back and he, talking to him there. Uh, and it uh, it does all seem weirdly extraneous because he, the the captain is back in the cockpit before anything goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do kind of wonder about this one because all the other ones start basically right before the disaster, or sometimes even during the disaster. I mean, I guess it's because the disaster is so sudden in this one because it's just uh, like true. They're, but it, they spend so long just having these people leering and kind of partying and having a, a you know, it, it's not the most professional, but it has nothing to do with what happened. No, no. <laughs> so we, we also have yeah, the guy, like, he gives the 
the line of, oh, I love being a pilot. I wouldn't ever want to do anything else. Right. It's like, you, you doomed the flight, buddy. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like they kind of have that in, uh, they, they do all of this so that they can have that line in there for dramatic irony. Uh, but yeah, because, you know, I think so. <laughs> it is very sudden because just uh, the the de-icing system failed and yeah. it, it froze and they just crashed and everybody and died. Everybody died. And it's yeah. instantaneous. Like suddenly the plane rolls and they're like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. And kaboom. Yeah. We get like three seconds of holy shit and then silence. Yeah. Uh, the third one is the Air Peru one. This one is haunting. That's terrifying yeah. what happened here. Uh, oh my god. So th this one's the longest one so far, and I I think a few of them are pretty long, but this is one of the longer ones. I think it might be the longest, maybe this one or the last one. Uh, so th this one, the problem is that the maintenance crew had left a bunch of ports taped over when they were washing the plane, and then they, they didn't take the tape off. Yeah, so all of the instruments on the plane were down every they couldn't read anything they had the altimeter was down they didn't have speed yeah none of uh, nothing was working they were getting incorrect readings and they were just jumping all over the place and then they would set off all sorts of alarms because the readings were saying this thing so all of the emergency things would react to it <laughs> so they were they, they get in touch with air traffic control it's like okay we have no instruments and you confirm this, that, and that for us. It's like, okay, well, you are this, this, and this, just like your supposedly haywire instruments are saying. You're 10,000 feet above the ocean now. Oh, great. So the problem, of course, is that they were also getting the readings from their instruments. From, they, from like, the they, plane instruments. They weren't using their own their yeah. own readings. Yeah, they were they they did not realize that they were just receiving like pulling the same readings from the same thing so the crew just kept reacting to the same stuff and it just they couldn't figure out why nothing was working because they were never getting any real readings and ultimately they just crashed into the ocean they didn't realize how low they were yeah yeah they thought they were ten thousand feet above and they were not yeah and they just crashed into the ocean and uh everybody was lost that one is just haunted because they did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's just like nothing. Why? Why is this not working? What's going on? I don't understand. And then, uh, they hit water. And then the next day, in the maintenance. Yeah, that the next day in the maintenance port, it is said that somebody taped up a, a sign to the wall that said, "Make sure you check the uh, the sensor ports before you finish your maintenance." Yeah, like I, I have to imagine that uh, the the flight crew, the maintenance crew, were fired. I <laughs> fucking hope I would have so. to suspect charged. Maybe I don't know if you can very do likely that. that that does happen in a lot of these kind of cases. Yeah, um, I, I uh, believe that... it bankrupted the airline or something. I, I was looking into all of these uh, after watching the movie. I looked into more of the details on them. Uh, yeah. Whew. All you can see out the window is just sky and water. You don't know anything about what you're looking at. Yeah. That's scary. Flying a plane is a lot harder than all the movies make it out to be. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a stressful and uh, terrifying job. Uh, so, yeah, there was a legal settlement. Okay. Uh, but it was a suit against Boeing. Uh, both oh. a, against Boeing for a defective design with the, uh. the static ports and Aero Peru for careless maintenance. Uh, they did identify an employee for not doing the tape. 
they used the wrong kind of tape. Also, oh. they used mm. duct tape that would not be noticed instead of the stuff. They're supposed to use very brightly colored stuff that's really noticeable. They didn't. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. So there was a million dollar per victim settlement. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. And yeah, uh, Aeropru declared bankruptcy. Jeez. So yeah, it, it ended the airline. <laughs> As it should. That, that's fucking disastrous. Yeah. That's that's insane. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that that is some absolute bullshit that should not have happened. Yeah, and then the next one is again really punchy, very sudden. Uh, this one's a pretty small plane. It was a an Air Force flight. Yeah, this one is like uh, this is another five minute one. I think this is like oh, a lot of birds are out today. Oh shit, we took a bird. Oh shit, we took another. Boom. Yeah, because it this one starts with the takeoff. This one's the entire yeah. flight. Uh, they're yeah. they're prepping. There's like, huh? It seems like a lot of birds. Hopefully, that's not an issue because a different plane had taken off just before and disturbed this flock. Mm-hmm. And they didn't properly they they didn't wait long enough for them to clear again. And yeah, a couple birds went into the engines and they spun and they exploded immediately. Yeah, this one starts with a diagram of the entire flight, and you can see they landed like a few hundred yards away from the runway. Mm-hmm. And then the next uh, one is Japan Airlines, which, oh, oh the, yeah, the dialogue in this one. <laughs> this one's also yeah. a crazy fucking crash. Terrifying. Uh, oh, yeah. Because um, what happened, I think there were only four survivors out of 500, like almost 600 people on this plane. 524. Yeah. Uh, it is the deadliest single aircraft disaster in history. Oh, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Wow. Because it's a huge, huge jumbo jet. Uh, oh, yeah. This is like. Um, and it's like a big summer vacation. It's uh, the 12th of August, 1985. So Ooh. the thing is that uh, one of the rear bulkheads just ruptured. Uh, and all of the hydraulics of the plane and the vertical fin, which controls their, you know, th- that's that's how they control it. Uh, all of it went out the back. Yeah. And, and they're they're trying to trying to get in touch with air traffic control in Japan. It's like, give me the company, bring the company. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it is very awkward. I, I do feel like this is the one where the stiffness of the dialogue really hurts the presentation. Like this one, they're in, they're doing incredible stuff. They are flying this plane just on instruments for quite a bit of time. And then they crash into a mountain. Yeah. Uh, actually, now that you mention it, I'm thinking one of the lines that I wrote down would have been would have gone from being funny to being absolutely haunting if it was uh, better translated. Mm-hmm. Uh, verify oxygen mask and hold baby firmly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would have been scary, actually. Come yeah. to think of it. Like, uh, there's a, like the crew is totally expert in the situation. It's just that the plane completely failed. Uh, And that's sort of the interesting thing with the last two is that in both of them, the crew is really doing a lot and the crew is heroic. It's just this one, they still couldn't do enough. And Mm -hmm. uh, because this one, it was an incorrectly repaired strike from years earlier that they didn't properly fix. And it just it slowly deteriorated again over time. So again, no one's fault aboard. Uh, but yeah, it hit mm. a mountain 
and somehow in the crash, four people managed to survive rolling out of it. Some Crazy. I, how? Like, yeah. Like, oh, man. Just trying, I, I've been inside, or at least I think I've been inside some of those planes. Maybe not the big ones like this one even. Maybe maybe if the ones I've been in have been even smaller than this, but... Yeah, I've never been in like a super jumbo like this, but... Yeah. Uh, just imagining trying to do anything with chaos and 500 other people trying to do anything. Yeah, uh, yeah quite quite it, horrifying. Because like it, it hit a mountain and just broke up. Uh, but yeah. Some people were thrown clear in a way that they survived. Four. I guess. Four, four out of yeah. 524. So the yeah. last one is like famous. Like this was this is sort of a miraculous one in that like uh uh more than half of them survived and <laughs> it, it seemed hopeless for a long time. They had no controls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're like saying, "Okay, I can't turn left, so if we miss the runway, we're going to have to do like a full 360 turn right with our yeah. uh, barely working right wing. We can sort of turn right. We cannot turn left at all. But th there just happened there was uh, one dude uh, who was on there uh, who just happened to be uh, a flight expert as well. So Oh, that's like, who that guy was. Okay. He's a, flight a DC-10 flight instructor. So they're oh. like, uh, hey, can you come up here and give us a hand? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> the guy's like, yeah. Uh -huh. yep. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll do what we can. And they they manage. Like, it is an incredible feat, the way they manage mm. to uh, rescue as much of the, the, the uh, as they did. Like, uh, 110 passengers were killed. Yeah. But, you know, that's out of 285. Yeah. Yeah. 185 survivors it said that's right because that's also the crew yeah uh yeah they're like talking about shit we're we're gonna have to land in a field uh they're like we're gonna have to lower our landing gear just to reduce our speed uh the air traffic is like can you verify again you have no hydraulics yes we have yeah. zero fucking hydraulics nothing, nothing whatsoever it's like well can you turn around fucking try yeah, like, can you go take a look back and see what you can see of the rudder? And like, uh, yeah, it's not there. <laughs> cool, cool. Or wait, no, that yeah. was the, that was the Japan Airlines. That one. was the Japan one. Yeah. Like, uh, it seems to be missing. There is one photograph that exists that was taken from uh the ground of it Ooh. uh when it was flying over, and yeah, you can see that it's that like the rear tail fin. It's just gone. It's not there. Oh, fuck. Yeah messed up oh my god so yeah but but no this one they they save more than half of the people on the plane yeah and it, you know the whole crew does incredible work uh they yep. they make it they make it happen they get it all the way to uh the was salt lake city i think uh sioux city sioux city iowa yeah yeah they're like like the, the it opens with a quote of uh there really isn't a procedure for this. Yeah. Like we see it on one of the pages of the written transcript. Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's it's a, one of these crashes that's very famous and has been heavily studied. It's one that, you know, I, I think it's essential if you're going to an academy. It's something you need to do, need to look into because it's just, you know, uh, one of these big miracles. It was great stuff. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. a nice place to end. <laughs> it, it feels like. You know, you get to the end and they're able to 
we're, we're out of the purgatory, the, the endless repetition of these people moving from place to place and just being in different roles in all these air crashes. Like this time they, they pulled off the miracle. So you get out, mm-hmm. you escape the loop. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk, you, I, you didn't end up watching it in 3d, did you? No, uh, it, it did not go well with, uh, my vertigo. Uh, I, I did. Um, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> it, it was subtle, which is what you need the 3d in this, what 3d needs to be, mm-hmm. but it was almost so subtle that you didn't, you don't need it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess they did it, it mainly nice because gimmick. it was a live show. Like it, it was them representing an existing play. So the kind of the physical experience of being there in the black black box cinema, I guess. It it did kind of feel a lot like that. And it did help put me into the movie a lot more. Hmm. But I won't say it was necessary. Yeah. And I won't say you're missing out on anything if you don't watch it in 3D. That's fair. So we've got one more film this week. Uh, I don't know (laughs) how much we can say about it because it is a hard one to classify or describe. It's 1987-ish's What's Love, uh, (laughs) finished by Carlos Tobolina, who his own films are not coherent to begin with. Uh, It is a (laughs) film that was started in the 70s by Bill Cable. Both of these people are... Uh, I, I think Bill Cable was mainly a an adult film actor, and Tobolina directed quite a bit of pornography in the eighties. Uh, so it all of the actors in it are also from pornography. You know, people in the the sex work business. So it has <laughs> an adjacency to all of that through the whole time, but it's not quite porn. It's sort of a softcore movie, but it's a philosophy movie in a weird sort of way. I guess so. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know if it's porn. There is a lot of sex in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any individual sex scene goes longer than the one in The Handmaiden, but there's definitely more sex. Well, it's more consistent because most scenes do have sex. Uh, <laughs> most scene transitions do, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm looking at the IMDb page. It has 16 ratings. Oh, wow. <laughs> Total. Uh, so it begins with Satan, who's <laughs> pansexual, uh, shape shifting. He can be anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pretty, fairly common Satan lore. I don't know if it's yeah. in the Bible, but it's in places. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, omnisexual he's... being. Mm-hmm. And he is in Perkle Hell, which is an all-black space with fire. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. <laughs> and he's basically like, hello, audience, I'm Satan. I might look like this or this. And it kind of frames it that this movie is like a public service announcement to watch out for the devil. But that's not really what the movie ends up being at all. Well, because it's kind of pro-devil, honestly. It kind uh, of is. They... But the, then we have, obviously, our other main character is the motorcycle cop. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> kind of. I mean, yeah. there's a few others, but the motorcycle cop is sort of tortured throughout history. Um, we we have that scene of him pulling that lady over, uh, who turns out to be, like, is it a lady or is it just Satan or is it both? It's Satan with lipstick. Right. Uh, he's not disguising himself right now okay and he gets pulled over and 
uh, he's he cops to being Satan, and the 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 cop very stupidly like on this road. I'm the devil. <laughs> Which, <laughs> oh, tough guy. And Satan takes that personally. <laughs> well, Satan just poof, poofs right out of there. He just, bloop, he's gone. Right. And then his license, driver's license is gone. And then his car pops out of existence. And then the cop's bike pops out of existence. And he has to just sit on the curb and think about what he's doing with his life. Yeah, and then he's Jesus, and he's like on the cross, <laughs> and he's like kind of feeling down, and there's like some music playing. Yeah, uh, he ends up smoking a joint, uh, drinking a booze, and fucking a giant uh, globe of planet Earth while it's spinning. Oh, of course. I And uh, notably before that, what Satan had said to him is like, you look more like Christ to me. Oh, or something yeah, that's like it. that. So it's some he he because this is what echoes through all of these is uh anytime the, the motorcycle cop tries to be Satan and he tries it a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh he's reminded like you kind of seem more Jesus-y, I gotta admit. Mm-hmm. He's like having sex with this blonde woman. It's like, would you still love me if I changed my body to look like something else? <laughs> <laughs> would you still love me if I was a worm? Oh yeah, and I, I, we're we're just like mostly looking at that ass, uh, mostly, really, yeah. uh, just that cake ass and the 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 jean jacket, and then of course it turns out to be Satan. Like Satan turns around like, Haha, gotcha, uh, gotcha. <laughs> it's it's exactly that. It's like got ya, <laughs> and then and then we cut to Satan back in hell. It's like, yeah, I could have looked like that, or I could look like. Yes, this this different gorgeous blonde pornography star (laughs) yeah Uh, so this is so this is next one is shauna who is married to who fucking cares he sucks and it's this whole thing of i need to be free but you're my wife i don't understand what you mean yeah uh There, there's a whole relationship drama thing. There's a few of these because uh, there's also <laughs> the the priest and the priest's cousin, and there's yeah that whole triangle emanating out of that that is just labyrinthian for what we're trying to do here. <laughs> it's so complicated and it doesn't need to be. <laughs> well, it's like a shaggy joke that just keeps going on and on. Yeah. <laughs> So Shauna leaves whatever guy, the mopey husband, and uh, goes hitchhiking on the road where she's picked up by the motorcycle cop who... Again, he's saying he's the devil. This is the the scene I sent you, which is like... This is, this, this is so what incredible. Want... <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's him again staying, I'm the devil, and then... Him... <laughs> Him imagining himself as like Ghost Rider, as like Johnny yeah. Blaze himself, and him like He's... It, it, it looks like a, a music video starting. We have like a big blown up photo of his face, and there's like fire He's... and. He's oh. wearing like the white open chested shirt. Yeah, uh, and uh... just him on a motorbike, uh, and it, it it looks absurd. But again, we have the echoing and like you look look more like Jesus to me. And then, then we transition to him on the cross getting nailed. 
Yeah, again. Like, like just the comparison hurts this man. Yeah, he has to learn. I was like, you you can't fucking be me. You think you can be me? <laughs> and of course, every time somebody does that or he introduces himself as the devil, we just have like this spliced in thing of the devil in hell pointing and laughing. Yeah, because the devil every time the devil does find it very amusing. It's like yeah. this is absurd. You think for real? Come on, honestly. So they have sex. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she gives she gives him these these two pills. They look like Starburst or Gushers or something. <laughs> it's like yeah, these will these will make us have a good time, and then they have sex for several minutes and die yeah uh because there, there's a couple things so yeah there's a few uh sex suicides in this because that's the next one as well with the girl who plots to seduce her cousin who's a priest uh and then they they obviously take suicide pills and they they fuck <laughs> to death he gets the suicide kill the the suicide pills from his old priest mentor <laughs> and I, I just kind of wonder about that like the, <laughs> is the old priest saying like hey i want you to enter into a suicide pact with somebody because if not why is he giving two suicide pills i mean i guess that's the point I, it, it just in case like if you have just to have sex you gotta both die oh uh, that's what it is i suppose right. but uh yeah. yeah there's that and then she leaves behind a girlfriend and the girlfriend <laughs> meets up with a different motorcycle cop. And then who's played by the same guy. And she's like, you really look like bill. Oh, well, right. I'm buck. Right. And there she's inherited all the money. Cause like, apparently they were fabulously wealthy. I like to imagine that the, the priest was Tim Ormond. Uh, yeah, he's got a Tim Ormondy kind of flavor. If he had taken a completely different turn, instead of becoming insufferable Wesley with the Grim mm. Reaper, he became kind of hot or something. <laughs> not kind of, not, not not entirely, but uh, you know, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, th this had his hot guy summer. <laughs> this girlfriend who is left behind is now the main character of the whole movie and the entire second half of just is just her laboriously setting up a threesome yeah but like not even a threesome ultimately like she's the they end up like they abandon her, the dude again ultimately right or someone gets left behind yeah so the cop pulls her over uh played by the same guy but it's a different cop uh, the chauffeur steals the cop's motorcycle, so she's like, why don't you come into my house and use my phone? And then he proceeds to just use the phone. And yeah, he, like, he wasn't getting it. He's really, like, he's slow. He he just does yeah. not pick up at anything. But he, he ultimately is convinced. And then there's, like, another lady. Well, the cop has a girlfriend. He, right. Like, they get to the point where their shirts are off and they're making out. And it's like, I have a girlfriend. I can't go all the way through with this. Right. So for whatever reason, he brings the girlfriend to meet her, and the girlfriend leaves him for her. Right, and the two of them end up together. Yeah, yeah. and he gets left behind. It's like, well, that doesn't seem fair. And then Satan so the laughs at him again. Uh, so he goes to the house, and now they're a polycule. 
Yeah. <laughs> the wife is like, hey, I'm, I'm glad you came. I was hoping that you would. And the the girlfriend's like, hey, yeah, I want to see you two fuck each other. And then I want to fuck both of you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it that's, is that's semi-porno it. movie. It is like porn adjacent. So, of course, you got to have the orgy. I mean, that's Tobolina's thing. Uh, it takes like 40 minutes to set up that sex. It's it's so shaggy. And I like, there's so much just, I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> I what, what is even happening? Who are any of these people? Is this still about the devil? Well, no, it stops being about the devil. The devil doesn't even do his spliced in laughing in this part. I think, like, I would have to imagine that most of the first stuff is Bill Cable's film. Like, all the stuff with the devil. And then all of this later stuff with the threesome is Tobolina stuff. And it definitely feels more Tobolina-y. It makes a lot less sense because, like, the movie was over when the girlfriend stuff started. Sort of, yeah. Like, it, it, it just turns into a different movie featuring completely different characters, different everything. We It's two different loosely connected movies with some of the same actors. Yeah. There's another Tobolina movie I've seen called Flesh and Bullets, which is another one that's non-porno. And I okay. think Bill Cable is in that one, too. Like, uh, Bill Cable being the guy who started this one is, I think he's maybe, like, I think he's the, the motorcycle cop. He is the motorcycle cop, yes. Yeah. Um, he's also in Flesh and Bullets, which is like Tobolina's version of uh, the Strangers on a Train, Alfred Hitchcock movie, the same concept okay. there. It's like two people made and they uh, jokingly plot to kill each other's wives, but one of the guys mm. is, is actually into it and the other guy, it's just a joke. Uh, oh that sounds cool it's great the original one's a real classic uh this version i think they just end up fucking each other's wives and i don't know (laughs) yeah that sounds about right i do remember it being somehow completely incoherent despite (laughs) that being a pretty straightforward plot there's also bank robbery involved Hmm. i think they're both bank robbers (laughs) so i don't know what the devil has to do with this (laughs) no at all no, I guess because they lost that thread. They, they weren't doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, Devil's like, all right, I've showed you I can be a whole bunch of different people. Yes, I'm out. Uh, yeah, uh, but I don't need to know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I was enjoying the ride. Um, <laughs> what is what's love? I, I still don't, don't know, but still don't know. Uh, as I said, it is a UFO. It is an unclassifiable film object. <laughs> that sounds about right yeah so do we have any last thoughts on any of those three before we head on to our part three well you look kind of like christ to me uh i i kind of feel more like satan 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 And we're back for part three, where we're talking about the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week. And we're going to decide what we're going to cover next week. This is our third week in the resolution stacks, which means I obviously, again, had a resolution for myself. We're doing in previous years, I've kind of just done all of them in a big block in the first week and then just kind of done my thing for the rest of the month. 
this week I've been kind of portioning them out and then uh, uh, sort of having them relate to our own pick. Oh, okay. Okay. So this week I finished another stack. That's two stacks that have finished this month. I think I will probably finish one more before the month's over. My God. <laughs> right on. Uh, but we've got 10 picks for our uh, second features next week. First is Last of the American Hobos, which is the next one from the uh, Lost Films box. Oh, I did see that. It was on the same disc as What's Love. Indeed. So it is a hobo documentary, but it's interesting because there's not a whole lot of, like, it's kind of an exploitation film that has documentary elements. Although okay. it's, like, it's not following a narrative, but it's, uh, most of it is not documentary footage. Mm. Uh, and, it, like, it is addressed right at the start. The guy's like, uh, there, there's, I believe, a written preamble where it's like, look, most of this is recreated because uh, you can't really get camera and audio equipment into a real hobo jungle. That's just not a thing that's going to happen. Uh, so yeah. I talked to these people and uh, these are all real stories, but we've had to kind of juice it. <laughs> right. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's a look at what is sort of one of the last gasps of this as a real culture, because hobo culture was a big American thing that started in the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it probably existed prior to that, but it really thrived and became a its own subculture during that time. Yeah, like people would think and dream about running away from their lives and becoming hobos. You don't do that now. Yeah, and there's they don't like dream about it. <laughs> there's like an entire genre of songs based on it. Uh, uh, they this some this song or the this soundtrack to this is like entirely hobo songs, like songs about being a hobo. Uh, the whole soundtrack, uh, obviously classics like Big Rock Candy Mountain, which you yeah. might know from. You've seen Oh Brother, I, Where Art Thou, right? I've seen part of it. Uh, I haven't seen. I've never seen the whole thing. To be fair, the soundtrack is more influential than the movie itself. <laughs> the soundtrack has, like, it was gigantic, enormous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's very compelling. You learn a lot about that culture. They don't get too much into some of the more interesting details of, like, the pictography and how that stuff works and what the meanings of those are. It's more just a bunch of different hobo tales, people telling about their experiences as hobos on the road, especially in this culture where everyone's kind of acknowledged that it is coming to an end and that it's in its decline. Mm. That, like, yeah. that would be interesting to be in that as it's happening and to know that it's happening. And because like you're seeing the state of flop houses in the 60s and what that kind of culture is like and how kind of violent and dangerous it all is. And it's, it's very compelling. And to a major extent, it is an exploitation film, but there's also stuff like they go to hobo days, which is a real event that continues to this day. Oh, okay. Uh, Cause I guess it was uh, one of the main outlets of uh, the, the railroad. And it's just, this is where hobos kind of gathered annually. And it just became the, the thing that the town is known for. So you go to the the end is them going to this event where they crown a king of the hobos. <laughs> right on. 
And they mention how they used to always crown a little boy as the hobo queen, but they don't do that anymore because it 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 mm. uh, uh, yeah. reinforces the stereotype of hobos as pedophiles. <laughs> yeah. They have to address it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. No weird okay. thing. Cool. Next is the mysterious castle in the Carpathians, which is completely fucking bug nuts. Oh, you've talked about this before, haven't you? <laughs> I, I sent you several clips of this last week, and I, uh, I, I I did introduce it last week. So it's a steampunk movie. It's from 1981. It is right. a Czech film. Uh, it's based on a Jules Verne novel that is widely believed to be possibly the inspiration for Dracula. Okay. So you got... Like, this is definitely a comedy, and it's an absurdist comedy, but it's also just a weird steampunk uh, sci-fi historical film. So you got this guy who is a opera singer, and he's extremely full of himself, and he has an extraordinarily powerful voice. Every time he does his big crescendo, everything breaks. You know, he's destroying <laughs> glasses all over the place. Oh, oh, yes, right on. <laughs> Uh, and he's got his faithful companion. They're marching through the Alps, or the Carpathians, rather, of course. And yep. they happen upon this ruined castle that the townspeople are all very troubled by. And it's like, oh, there's bad stuff going on there. I see, like, rockets coming out of the ground at night sometimes. Hmm. Uh, and it turns out that a mad scientist lives there. And it's not a ruin. It's a, an active mad science castle. And he's got steampunk uh spying devices all over the place he's got nice uh like cameras and he's he has developed sound and film recording before the world actually has okay right on so the opera singer is looking for his lost love who disappeared right after they were engaged uh but she had died oh. uh but they uh, the mad doctor who runs the castle was her biggest fan and was always stalking her. So he's pretty sure that he spirited her away and he thinks that she's still alive and being kept in the castle. Hmm. All right. And, you know, they hear the voice and stuff. So they think, oh, I mean, it, they they don't know about sound recording. Right. So they, yeah. They're, they're sure he must have her there. Uh, so it's them trying to get into the castle and him using all his steampunk traps. And uh, he's got his own pet mad scientist who is uh, who's built all these dangerous explosives. And yeah, it's just fucking crazy. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. I dug it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next is Golgo 13 Assignment Kowloon. This, is this a... I've heard of too. This is the next one in the Sunny Chiba box or collection. That's right. Sunny Chiba volume two. Uh, so this is part of a series just like uh, Karate for Life was. I think this one's less connected to like an overall overarching plot line or anything. It's just uh, Chiba is Duke Togo. Uh, Golgo 13, codename Golgo 13. He's a super assassin. Dresses in a white suit and he like can pull off incredible shots from huge distances. <laughs> oh, this was like an anime or a manga, wasn't it? Yes, I believe both. Uh, oh, okay, that's why I've heard of this. Yeah. So he's assigned to take out this crime boss in Kowloon. And, oh, yeah, it's 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 him <laughs> doing that shit. It's great. <laughs> 
cool. It's a little slow in the middle. There's a lot of plot, just so goddamn much plot. There's so much going on, but various scenes of him assassinating people in completely absurd ways, like just very, very elaborate uh, assassinations. Nice. Nice. Next is one you watched. We've got Top Knot Detective. (laughs) This movie was funny. It's a good time. Like I see, yeah, I, I, I think it has kind of a negative reception because people don't tend to like these fake bad movies where they do a fake version of something that exists and kind of play mm. with it. But this one's it's it's got a whole superstructure. Like it's a true crime mockumentary. Also, <laughs> yeah, there there's like like there's it, a it's a fake documentary, but it has a story arc. It's got uh, it has a mystery. Yeah. And you don't know that it has a mystery until like halfway through. Yeah. And then it doesn't solve the mystery uh, conclusively. Which I kind of like. I sort of feel like, you know, I come out of it at the end feeling like uh, our, our main guy was railroaded and was innocent. Mm. I think that too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting. Uh, and also, I love the Time Striker concept. I just wish this show existed. I would watch the shit out of Top Knot Detective. Oh, my God. Somebody, like, the documentary is great, and I love, the, like, the whole story behind it. But I do wish you could just watch episodes of Top Knot Detective. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like create it. Because it, it turns out. It can be cheap. It's supposed to be cheap. It has to be cheap. Yeah, yeah like, it turns out the whole thing is just. A time loop. They shoehorned it into a time loop story. It's like the one who killed the master is me. <laughs> I solved the case. Cuts off his own head, but like a different <laughs> version of him in the past. Yeah, uh, wild stuff. Uh, pretty fun. Uh, the the cigarette commercial in the middle of it just oh, really yeah. cracks me up. <laughs> just beating the shit out of this kid. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so next, uh, I finished the Bollywood horror collection with Band Darwaza, Ooh. which is uh, Dracula. It, it is mm. doing kind of the basic Dracula storyline. It's just you have so much plot before you get to it, <laughs> <laughs> as these things do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love this one. I think this one's great. This one is one of my favorites in the set. Maybe my favorite. Uh mm. it, this and Virana are my two favorites, I think. Oh, uh, I loved Virana. The songs are awesome. Like, I really like the actual songs in this. It's the only one where the songs feel part of the storyline. Oh, okay. Because, like, you'll have the the people singing to each other, but, like, the lady will be chained up in a castle <laughs> during the, the music video, which is kind of cool. Usually they're, like, right. on a beach somewhere, and it seems to be totally disconnected from anything. Also, there's no comedic subplot. <gasps> yes! Oh, thank fuck. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. I don't mind a comedic subplot if it's good, but... There's, ah, like... The one yeah. in Virana wasn't. One of the weird things with this is that not only, like, there's some... There's not a lot of classic score that's really fun. Like it has an incredible banging open theme. But then most of it's the Friday the Thirteenth score. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so much of the Friday the Thirteenth score. Like they borrow constantly from Friday the Thirteenth, 
and they even constantly have they they have the jason noise all the time like when's jason gonna show up this is weird yeah you showed me some clips of this you mentioned she's just like reading a book in her bedroom and it's like yeah the the sounds like it's the like because they're doing all of the jason's like they're doing the whole uh harry manfredini score they they borrowed the entire thing uh so the vampire uh in the past, he's this magician, and okay. uh, this the there's a lady who works for this couple, and the couple can't conceive, so she takes him to she takes the lady to her magician cult leader, who is able to magic her to get pregnant, but they make an agreement where if it's a girl, they get to keep the baby, uh, but like a if it's a boy, the parents keep the baby. If it's a girl, right. uh, the magician and such, they get the baby. And then it's a girl, okay. and obviously they decide not to give it to the magician, and they kidnap it, and they yeah. <laughs> they have to go to the thing, and they kill the guy. They kill the magician. And 20 okay. years later, he's resurrected, and he's an undead vampire. Uh, he frequently Kool-Aid mans through brick walls. It's really <laughs> funny every time. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of the great things is like it does have it's very, very plot heavy for some time. But then once it's laid out all of this plot stuff, it's just a lot of stuff like it's just they're in action for the rest of the movie. It was fun. Nice. Nice. Next is The Runner. Uh, this is a pretty short movie. I think it's like 40 minutes. It's more of an extended music video. Okay. Or series of music videos. It's this band, Boy Harsher, who I really like. They're sort of a dark synth group. I'm a big fan. There's this girl. She's the runner. She's running away from the forest, and she's all covered in blood. And she gets in a truck, and she kind of goes from place to place. And uh, she keeps finding obvious music video locations. Like, she was going to find, <laughs> like, there's a, a diner that she's driving by, and I think it says, like, the open sign says something like, Nowhere instead so it's like oh that's obviously a music video location she pulls in and there's a music video there <laughs> uh, uh like i i mean i'm a fan of this band and i've had the soundtrack to this for quite a while so it's like oh shit she's she's at the cover art there's something really gonna <laughs> fucking go down here oh no uh and it did uh there's a whole weird twist and yeah i don't know it was fun hard i mean it's it's 40 minutes it's mostly music video <laughs> all right <laughs> Next from the Peter Cushing, uh, Cushing Curiosities box, uh, Bloodsuckers, uh, also known as Incense for the Damned. <laughs> uh, this is much hated when it came out. Uh, it's from 1970, and it's really from 1970, like super Ooh. from 1970. Uh, <laughs> it's the transition out of the 60s. We were at college, and there's big drug sex orgies. Uh, it's it's Oxford College. Not drug sex orgies. Oh my god, there's so many. The acid. Oxford? Have an acid and they're having these big orgies and then it turns into blood orgy and there's a vampire maybe? So so at Oxford, is it blood, comma, sex, comma, and orgy? Or is it blood, comma, sex, and orgy? Uh, I believe you got to have that Oxford comma in there. Ah, okay. Uh, Cushing obviously is just a crusty dean. 
<laughs> necessarily <laughs> he he's he's like oh i can't believe this stuff is going on my goodness but there's this uh, this guy he he's an english student he's on vacation in greece and he hooks up with this lady who considers herself a vampire but it's entirely a kink like there's no supernatural element to this it's just they have a vampire kink and they keep killing people like they <laughs> they do a bunch of acid and then they like kill someone in their like vampire uh kink attack uh okay and uh, you know eventually they track them down and figure this out and some of the people still think it's supernatural the whole movie but it's pretty clear it's just a weird kink that th these people have and i don't know it's i can see why people didn't like it <laughs> mm. <laughs> all right <laughs> there's like a 15 minute orgy scene early on in the movie and i'm like i don't even know what the plot is yet <laughs> uh next is my degeneration this is another pretty short one. It's, uh, I think, shot on 16 mil or maybe SOV. Uh, it's the first film by John Moritsugu, who he, he did sort of punk video art. So this is from 1990. It's right before the grunge explosion. And it's sort of the same scene, but it's more Riot Girl. Okay. I don't know if you're really familiar with any of these genres, but sort of the... Not really, but... <laughs> Oregon, Washington area underground noise scene but uh kind of specifically the feminist noise scene okay so you have this group uh it's uh, this group i can't remember what their original name is they i think they end up changing it to bunny love uh to be more commercial but they're you know up, up and coming punk noise rock group in the area and they decide to partner with the meat council and they're going to rocket to superstardom. And one of them has a love affair with a pig head. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of actual meat. There's just meat all over the place in the film. And they're talking about meat. Uh, oh, man, we got to watch out for Lee Marvin. Yeah. Uh, the, the girl, there's a pig head and it talks and it has like a old record producer kind of voice. Uh, it's named <laughs> Livingston. And she falls in <laughs> love with Livingston. They, they have a romance. <laughs> with a with a severed talking pig head yeah they're, they're like right. people don't understand their romance and they there's like a song uh, about it <laughs> well you know if if the dead pig consents yeah and it sounds like he does oh he does uh but i, I think uh, someone leaves the fridge open and then he rots <laughs> <laughs> oh no he has to be kept in a fridge <laughs> man uh it, it was weird i mean it is very much just an experimental student underground punk project all right <laughs> so that's first in a box set uh from agfa with uh one two three four five six seven films by moritsugu uh, all of the same kind of flavor, is my understanding. Should cool. be fun. <laughs> uh, next is Psycho Paul's Film Festival. Mm. This one is also shot on video. It's maybe the lowest fi thing I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Are you... Wow. Because <laughs> it's a parody of lo-fi SOV, while oh. also being extremely lo-fi SOV. Oh, my. All right. <laughs> so you've got this guy psycho ball 
and it's him introducing a festival of his films that he's created in his basement they're just these great shot on video epics and they're excruciatingly gory and you will be shocked by the gore psycho paul produces <laughs> uh frequently cutting to him in an armchair hyping up his own work <laughs> there's one where uh someone's hand is boiled uh in oil on a frying pan and it's just like clearly someone's hand in some water and a frying pan <laughs> and they and like they'll just do it for like <laughs> A solid 10 minutes they just like <laughs> numbingly they'll repeat the shot over again and like ah, 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 oh it's burning oh my god just because <laughs> that's how these things are they're very repetitive they're very slow so it's like an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> it did not need oh, to be but it, it it it's very effective in doing that like there is a vomit sequence where it's just like uh, it, it's sort of an exorcist parody where someone just keeps vomiting up white white goo Oh, but we're just like watching someone go. Oh, for like a solid 15 minutes of just vomiting and vomiting. And the final sequence is drug freak meets Satan, which is the best. Uh, this guy does some weird drugs that he's given by Satan and he turns into a psychedelic flower and he's like. He's just a rubber flower. And then <laughs> there's like a monster that comes up and I think maybe Satan turns into a sort of reptile monster. And then it's these two rubber monsters in front of a, like a <laughs> static screen. And they're just like having them bat at each other. And they have you know, people voicing them as the drug freak fighting Satan doing this epic <laughs> battle. I, I, It's a hell of a thing. <laughs> right on. <laughs> And last one is Some Guy Who Kills People. Uh, I sent you a clip from this the other night where uh, the dude is dressed as a ninja, just ices a dude at a drive-in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a weird one. It's um, it's sort of a comedy and sort of a slasher movie. Uh, okay. It's this dude who is recently out of a mental hospital and... Uh, he, he was very badly bullied as a kid and that's oh, what sent him to the hospital and uh, his bullies are turning up dead getting just brutally destroyed uh, someone is killing the shit out of all his bullies and we see him uh, stalking the bullies and uh, like uh, hanging around outside their place in his car wearing a ski mask <laughs> hmm. <laughs> But, I wonder who it could be. But meanwhile, uh, I mean, he's also his mom is best friends with the sheriff, uh, played by Barry Bostwick. You know, the mayor from Spin City. Oh, OK. Yeah, he's, I think he's so. He's pretty funny in this. I, I found hmm. him to be pretty amusing, although the tone of the humor is very officey. You know, the office. I've only seen a couple of episodes of the office. Um, but, you know, the style, right? The kind of like, yeah. Someone yeah. says something and someone looks the it it feels kind of like Carell makes a funny face like Argh. it's got kind of that style to it at times, which is sort of weird for the tone of the rest of the movie. Hmm. Um, okay, there's a thing where he says he has a splitting headache when they're just arriving at a scene where a guy has an axe in his forehead, and the deputy starts riffing and doing a bunch of axe in the head puns. And he's like, oh, God. "What are you doing?" <laughs> Like, I thought we were doing puns. Like, 
why would we be doing that? <laughs> like, well, you because you never mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this guy at the same time, his 11 year old daughter shows up out of nowhere. Uh, he knew that she existed, but she did not know he existed until right. just now. And finally, the mom tells her, so she shows up and she wants to get to know him. Uh, but you know, he's got stuff going on at night that it's really a, a problem for. Right. <laughs> he he meets a, a girl who's into him and he starts dating. So there's just all of these obligations that he's got around mm. uh, these bullies being murdered. <laughs> uh, the the girl he dates is, um, I can't remember the name of the actress. She's uh, in Shaun of the Dead. She's the girlfriend in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, what's her name? Uh, I, I don't actually know off the top of my head. Um, uh, I can't remember, <laughs> but uh, yeah, her. I mean, she's she's the girlfriend, which is sort of weird because it's like a couple years later, so it feels like they're intentionally casting her to uh, evoke Shaun of the Dead because they're definitely mm. doing sort of a Shaun of the Dead jokey tone to the horror. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I don't know, interesting, uh, kind of mixed, but uh, especially like the last act, it's the the twists are there there are twists that i don't know if they work or i'm not even sure if they're supposed to work like if they're <laughs> okay. supposed to think that things aren't concluded at the end i don't honestly mm. know which isn't ideal i suppose <laughs> okay <laughs> so of those 10 what do you want to cover next week um well this one was actually a pretty easy one for me to decide i think uh, I definitely want to do the last of the Bollywood horror ones. Okay. And, uh, and I just saw how long that one is. Uh, hmm. I'm also thinking I want to do the last or the mysterious castle of the Carpathians. Alrighty. So mysterious castle in the Carpathians and bond Darwaza. Yeah. So we have just a few additions to the stacks before we move on to our main pick. Uh, so first, Red Midnight is the next one in the Lost Films box. This one is someone's self-financed nuclear holocaust scare movie. Okay. I hear it's totally fucking nuts. Hmm. <laughs> it's also a crime film, and it has a musical sequence. All right. <laughs> uh, written and direct. Uh, this is from Justin LaLiberty's review. Written and directed by an optometrist who may or may not have been certifiably mad. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> uh next we kill for love which is a documentary on the erotic thriller in the 90s and the boom of the erotic thriller and the uh direct to video era of the erotic thriller uh which should That's... be super interesting it's incredibly in-depth it's like three hours long Ooh, that does sound interesting though mm-hmm uh, next is the final one in the Chiba box, the Okinawa War of Ten Years, uh, oh. which, from my understanding, is basically the same plot as the other Okinawa Yakuza War one. Hmm. Same plot, All right. <laughs> but uh, this one, from my understanding, is less actiony. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, next from the Cushion Curiosities box is the Man Who Finally Died. Uh, so it's this guy, he's a German guy living in Britain. Like he, I think he was born in Britain, but two German parents pre-World War II. But then I think he believes his dad died during World War II. But then he gets a call from him. 
Oh, okay. And then uh, at the same time, there's a funeral going on in Bavaria in his dad's hometown where a coffin is being buried with his name on it. And then uh, so he has to go investigate his dad's potential death. I don't know. It sounds complicated. (laughs) Yes, it does, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, But, you know, just one of these, they pumped out kind of goofy, low-budget, crime and mystery films in britain in this era so it'll be one of those all right next one in the moritsugo box is hippie porn okay (laughs) uh this is a description on letterboxd it's clearly just a quote from the beginning of the movie we're a bunch of spoiled teenagers with nothing better to do than sit around and talk meaningless shit let's face it all we'll be doing for the next 75 minutes is smoking drinking wine and complaining about not having anything to do well (laughs) I, at least I know what I'm getting into. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want it to be like an Orson Welles thing where it's like for the next 75 minutes and the runtime is like two hours. Uh, the theme of tonight's show is does art imitate life? Does life imitate art? Does life fuck art? Does art suck shit? Does shit get stuck in my <laughs> asshole and give me bad pains? Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be that. Uh, and last edition is Neon City. Uh, which is a latter-day Mad Max knockoff from 1991. It's got Michael Ironside as a bounty hunter in post-apocalyptic future. They're looking sure. for <laughs> Neon City, which is like the the last bastion of humanity. Uh, apparently a solar flare disaster has decimated Earth. Oh, those damn solar flares. Yeah. Which may not actually be a thing that is legitimately a problem, but who knows? Because people don't don't really understand. (laughs) So our main pick will sort of be from the inactive stacks, maybe. I brought up the list and I figure we could watch something from there or maybe uh, something there and it reminds you of something else you want to cover. I don't know. Okay, okay. Well, I've got the inactive stacks up right now and I'm looking at... So basically, it doesn't have to be from there, is what you're saying? Yeah, I'm thinking it's it's basically a, we could just choose anything, but you know we could look at the list, and if there's something there that inspires you to pick something else, we could pick something else. All right. Um, oh, I remember Ninja Zombie. <laughs> yeah, we watched that a long time ago. Oh, ages ago, but I still remember that. I, I had completely forgotten about it until I saw the. Uh, <laughs> the guy Great doesn't cover look art. like a ninja at all <laughs> yeah ninja zombie one of the earlier agva releases uh, uh so much fun hmm. uh oh that looks like lee marvin there at the bottom point blank oh yeah that's right that is indeed lee marvin that's uh one that's heavily featured in los angeles plays itself which so's cutter's way by the way oh okay cool Although uh, he, it's not actually in LA because it's in Santa mm. Barbara. So he kind of, he he kind of subtweets it. It's like uh, <laughs> as, as Santa Barbara is this place like oh yeah, one of those border towns like Santa Barbara where they can be complacent and not think about the homeless and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how do we feel about doing Point Blank? Could do Point Blank. It's one of my favorites. It's a really brisk crime film from the late 60s it's directed by john borman who was also the inspiration for walter in the big lebowski 
Oh, no kidding. Yeah, All right. he's like the real guy who's like they kind of based the character on. Oh, no way. I I never would have guessed Walter was based on a real guy. <laughs> uh, you may know him for his films Deliverance or Zardoz. I know of Deliverance and Zardoz. Okay. Uh, I may have seen Zardoz and that's the one where Sean Connery's an alien? Or am I thinking of something else? He might be an alien. I think he's because uh, there's <laughs> he's wearing like a ridiculous red loincloth in the movie that's yeah that's what i'm thinking of that fucking thigh high boots yeah yeah i i wasn't sure if he was an alien or what uh and there's like i just know that image there's a big flying stone head that pukes guns on him and it's like the gun is good the penis is evil (laughs) what (laughs) yeah zardoz is complete fucking trip you haven't seen it if you (laughs) don't remember no if uh (laughs) you'd remember remember that yeah (laughs) So point well, blank, uh, yeah. it's about it's it's uh, Lee Marvin as this guy Walker. It's based on the Walker series of pulp novels, and you know he's been double crossed, so he is heading back for revenge, uh, revenge. to get the money that was stolen. And uh, I, I believe in Los Angeles Place itself, he he has like a whole feature on this movie because it's like it's the best movie for people who love to hate la or this is like the great hating la movie (laughs) (laughs) all right well why don't we do that and uh uh, yeah i've been meaning another one of those ones that i've been meaning to check out forever all right so point blank the mysterious castle in the carpathians and bond darwaza should be a good time we might fit in an ultra cute i'm not sure i'll get back okay. to you all right well i'm always up for it i'll never say no to it all right so uh any last thoughts before we close for this week uh we're the rare blue apes of carpathia <laughs> oh man uh I, I just saw rare blue apes on like <laughs> on that lost box set with like all these other things with like yeah. violet names and i'm like this movie doesn't belong. It, it is funny how, although it is as much of a fucking transmission from another planet as most mm. of these seem to be. Uh, <laughs> like, I do recommend checking out any more of them. They are all pretty fascinating so far. Uh, all each right. In their own way. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Well, see you next week. <laughs>